Hey, this is Lou Mangello from WDW Radio, and you're listening to the Five-ish Fangirls Podcast. Let's do this. Tangents and Squeak continue all the way to episode 356 of the Five Ish Young Girls podcast. And we're going to kind of be like Marty McFly and go rolling into 1955. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to this. <laughs> kind of works. Go ahead. Welcome, well, everyone, to this week's episode of the Five Ish Young Girls podcast. So glad you could join us. Let's start off like a door at the virtual table and see who's joined us this week. This is Christy in Salt Lake City. This is Holly from Wisconsin. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I was, I, I, sorry for interrupting my, my, I just realized like, oh yeah, it's 1955 in this section. Back to the future. Mm -hmm. Okay. So even more reason to like it. <laughs> Although Holly, Holly, uh, a moment of silence for your poor, late lamented Packers. That was a heartbreaker. I'm really, I'm really Thank sorry. You. Yeah, and I just kind of had the feeling every single time we face the 49ers, it usually winds up ending in tears. So I was hoping against hope, but then when the fourth quarter rolled around and things happened, I'm just like. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of been kind of par for the course for the past couple of years. So it's just like, well, great. yeah, I, I, I wonder, I've had occasion to wonder in the past, what good is the first round by if, if you're just going to lose in the divisional <laughs> round anyway, but exactly. And uh, then don't the, get me started with yeah. issues about our, our quarterback and yeah. Oh I'm yeah. All thinking, that, all this that might be his. I think this might be his last year in green and gold. You I'm a are, diehard you, Packer fan, but hey, if he decides not, to leave, more power to him. <laughs> you are not the only one, only one to 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 hypothesize that. And yeah, I, I there, there's a, there's a number of, of sports YouTubers I follow. One of them is a, is a diehard Packers fan, and I was watching him his live stream of the game the other night, and I was like, oh no, oh no, mm, this is so mm -hmm. sad. So, mm -hmm. yeah, let's let the off-season drama begin. <laughs> yes, but that's the that that's the playoffs for you. Mm -hmm. but Sports but ball, congrats. yay! <laughs> but congrats to Kansas City. Congrats exactly. To, to whoever else won, we don't have the Buccaneers. We don't have the Patriots. So praise be. Could actually cheer <laughs> for somebody. Yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. This, so this is going to be an interesting sports ball uh, <laughs> Super Bowl. Be, be, yes, I, I think I may, I may have to cheer for the Rams just because my mom has has been a Rams fan since she was a little girl, and yeah, she was decked out in all her blue and gold yesterday, and <laughs> yay, yay, mommy's Rams. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for taking out taking out the trash. I mean, <laughs> did, did I say that out loud? <laughs> Whoops! Whoopsie! Although I, I, I do, I do, I don't really have 
one team that I cheer for. It was the Colts for a time, but then they screwed over mm-hmm. Andrew Luck, and I was really pissed about that. But uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> so I got nothing. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> I've given up I, on professional I'm sports, to... so I'm just like, <laughs> and I and I'm trying to delay sports. the ten o'clock news. <laughs> well, yes, that too, that too. Yeah, the, the playoff, the playoff stuff that you know, they're just they're just kind of fun in their in their chaos. Yeah, yes, yeah. they, they you, you never know what's gonna. You never know if there's going to be the great big blowout or mm-hmm. you know bracket busting <laughs> yeah yeah for sure it makes me wonder if they're going to change any of the rules considering the how many we have to go to overtime and yeah how many, how many of these have been won by field goals the past and couple of games here yeah and it's so weird because like every time for you know for for every game where you know they just neither team can get in the end zone and you have a you know a perpetual tie and, and it ends up tying it's like how many of these are just like a oh you know one and we're when we're done and it's like okay oh, you know you might want to look into how they do it in basketball and you just you just play an extra quarter <laughs> and, right yeah like just just make it easy because it feels like they they don't stick with the same ones all the time I can't ever keep it straight mm-hmm. but yeah. oh well yes mm-hmm. we are delayed we are delaying the ten o'clock news if mm-hmm. anybody who's wondering we did not yes. we did not all of a sudden become become a a, a football podcast yeah no no this, no, this 10 o'clock is a bit of a shocker <laughs> let's yes. just put it that way but uh yes yeah, so uh the uh the the legendary musician mm-hmm. actor I believe uh meatloaf yes Yes. passed away yes. at the age of 74 and part of me was like wow he was that old really and then i started yeah. doing the math it, and i'm like oh like... oh okay yeah. i guess so well and i mean we still just it's lost jim steinman in in april of last year too so it's just like oh boy <laughs> yeah it, it's it's like yeah it's it's been a rough couple of weeks and And for those of us of a certain age our parents grew up with it or we were right at the age when the album for bad out of hell 2 came out so we had the we do anything for love but we wouldn't do (laughs) that (laughs) yeah well, I mean, you got to figure he was in Rocky Horror, and that was in '75. Yes. So, right, yes. and right. he was actually That's in the long office. time ago. Yeah. And hey, he hey, here off Broadway. I, yeah, and then he got the Rocky Horror. So it was just man, yeah. the crew that he ran with, and if and when we do a retrospective on the Bad Out of the Hell album, I've been listening and I found out a couple of things that. I didn't even know about <laughs> certain members of a certain New Jersey band happened to play backup on the Battle mm. on a Hill album. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the yeah. man, the man who would do anything for love, but would not do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, passed away at the age of 74 so 
which when you live the rock and roll life right 74 seems really old (laughs) yeah i i guess i guess so it's like you know by by rock and roll standards he was he was he was a you know he was a senior citizen Mm -hmm. (laughs) very much so yeah um, i mean and he was talking about going back into the studio at the beginning of this month to record uh, stuff and pulse and pull stuff that had gotten taped when they were on tour in the 70s mm-hmm. and put it out. So, I mean, I'm hoping he was able to lay some tracks down and get some re-editing. So I'm sure they'll be able to cobble together down something. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. They did that with Prince. Yeah. And they did that with when, Queen too with Freddie's yeah, last yeah. album too. So yeah, I'm well, and Freddie was like, it record 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 as much as you can before because yeah. he knew right. it was time was yeah, short Freddy knew. Yeah. so yeah. yeah yeah so but but uh yeah so yeah not a bit, bit of a bit of a rough piece of news to 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 wake up to <laughs> Yeah, whichever a, whichever day it was, Friday. Some uh, Friday morning. Up, yeah, yeah. A, 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 someone on TikTok. I saw a TikTok of somebody that they'd written down the rest of the the cast from Rocky Horror that was still alive on a piece of paper and then circled it in salt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the good old Winchester Protection Circle. Yes, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Yes. No. You. You. You don't touch Tim Curry. You leave him alone. Yeah. Him alone. Because somebody had posted a meme and it was a little too soon, but uh-huh. it was Betty White and Bob Saget. It's just like, what do you want ah! for dinner or something like that? How about meatloaf? And this is like, oh, too soon. No, too no. Soon. Okay. The funniest one. The funniest one I thought was this this apology letter. I I can't remember who what company it was, but they like send out recipes every Friday, you know, to, to the email, and it happened. That Friday, oh, their that's recipe, right. yes, yeah, their their recipe they offered was was some kind of meatloaf, and people freaked out because like, don't you know that he died? And I'm like, guys, I'm sure it was totally a coincidence. Yeah, yeah I because they because yeah. they have to plan these things so far in advance, and I'm like, if you're getting if if you're getting offended over a meatloaf recipe being emailed to your to your email on the day the singer meatloaf dies, I mean. Okay, yeah, it may that that I don't think that's in poor taste. It might be in poor taste to serve meatloaf at the funeral luncheon. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think yes. a recipe is uh, sending a recipe in the email is is really that, that no. big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, like, no. like for real, he would have seen the humor in it. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, I honestly, I think he would have laughed. I think he would have. I think yeah. he would have gotten a good chuckle out of it. Yeah. I don't but, think yeah, he would have like, taken that stage name if he hadn't realize it you know no yeah well that was he he got that nickname from his dad and his football coach yeah oh well there you go stuck yeah yeah it's got to be one of those things it's like i I don't know that it it just it it's not it's not you don't pick your stage name or you don't pick your goofy nicknames you just kind of like oh hey (laughs) there it is yeah that's funny Mm -hmm. but yeah i saw that and i just like people I, I have no yeah. patience for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, rest in peace, meatloaf. Yep. Yes. And uh, thank you, thank you for for all the all the memories. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, 
All right, moving on to, uh, we were anxiously waiting, but it did not happen while we were recording last week. Uh, <laughs> it took it took a little <laughs> while before it finally hit the internet. But yeah. We finally got that Moon Knight trailer. <laughs> yes, we did. And it's a trap. So I'm sure the people that are not familiar with the character are probably like, what the F is going on here? <laughs> now it, it was it i'm was sorry that's of... probably going to be pretty much how the series rolls because you're dealing with a uh, well i guess it depends on how they go with him but from what i understand moon knight like he's a mercenary but he's in that morally gray area kind of like deadpool yeah <laughs> it's yeah so, something like that it's yeah as far as like whether he's a good guy or a bad guy but in this case he also uh suffers from dissociative identity disorder what we called back in the day multiple personality disorder but they don't call that anymore it's did now um so that's the thing is he he has like this superpower which like we're get, we're really getting into like really like mythological stuff here in the mcu mm -hmm. so like you know we've learned about like norse mythology because of thor and then with eternals we were starting into like greek and roman uh mythology too moon knight is egyptian mythology so if you want to read up on that before <laughs> the starts in march you got some time uh, and 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 those of us uh, although i i gotta say because i know next to nothing about this character but those of us who uh were sailor moon fans <laughs> saw saw some of the promotional images saw the name and were just like moonlight night is that you <laughs> which yeah. is a totally different character <laughs> anime yeah. only not in the manga uh but yeah it was just so, some of the, some of the sailor moon um facebook pages I, I i follow we're having a good uh, uh having some fun with that <laughs> when, yeah. when the trailer wrong dropped. fandom wrong yeah. fandom yeah. very much different no yeah but yeah if I you just, if you yeah if you want to get an idea of what the character at least as far as the comics is you know concerned mm -hmm. um i'll have a link in the show notes but capes on the couch one of their early episodes of their podcast all the way if you go all the way back to episode number four uh they did an episode on moon knight because their their show is um they're both huge comic book fans but one of them actually is a licensed psychologist and then you got other guys just his friend that just happens to be a fan of the same thing so you get the perspective of just your average show on the street comic book fan but also comic book fan who's also a licensed psychologist so um if you want to go back and listen to that uh to get uh, a better idea yeah. at least as far as from the comics are concerned obviously marvel is going to cherry pick and mold it into their own thing mm -hmm. as they do with stuff you know but at least it gives you a, a start place to start especially if you know nothing about this character um but oscar isaac just looks like he's just gonna be yeah. you know just really fun to watch because he yeah. he literally is having to play different personalities mm -hmm. so he's having to do different accents and stuff so it's gonna be yeah. really wild to see him 
stretch himself yeah uh, see what he see what he does as an actor i got i got like venom and and uh daredevil vibes kind of in in some kind of mix for that which i've seen the first season of daredevil i have not Mm -hmm. watched venom but you know just kind of what i what i've seen of of both of them i'm kind of like you know this is kind of that's where this sits i could see this this character being like in the defenders um you know wheelhouse or or yeah whatever we're calling that one but um yeah it's like okay this i get it yeah so also it's oscar isaac and i kind of i kind of adore him yeah so i it it is it is good to see him getting good roles after being completely shafted in star wars yeah uh so uh next up uh we've got uh the sag awards nominees were announced uh, because we're well into awards season again and there might be a little something something little contest Mm -hmm. uh pod versus pod thing happening again finally mm-hmm. <laughs> stay tuned to this space yes yes yes, yes, yes. i'm TBD still voting plans are forming <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm still i'm still I, I joked that our team name should be moose and squirrel but no but everybody like liked it and nobody rose raised any objections until yeah. somebody i don't know yeah i but now i'm like i'm kind of being defensive i'm like well i came up with it and you all seem to think it was funny so let's do it yeah <laughs> now now who gets now we have to decide who gets to be moose and who gets to be squirrel are we gonna all take our respective heights and the tallest team gets moose and yeah. the shorter end gets squirrel <laughs> who, can, who can who can jump the highest i mean none of us can fly unless unless nick has some uh uh secret yeah, abilities that, that i don't know about but <laughs> who can jump the highest whoever can jump the highest that's that's squirrel yeah. <laughs> maybe uh, uh so but yeah sag awards a lot like the uh golden globes where it's movies and television so um pretty much the same uh as the the golden globes so you know you've got uh you know a lot of the same tv shows succession uh morning show uh handmaid's tale but uh yeah once again steve martin and martin short both nominated for outstanding performance by a male actor in a comedy series for only murders in the building Uh, odds odds are they're going to lose to jason sudeikis for ted lasso because i mean ted lasso's good but I'm, I, I want, I want our yeah. murder. I want I our do, murder show to I win. I do like that the SAG <laughs> Awards do have an award. They do have some unique awards that the others don't like. Outstanding performance by an ensemble, mm-hmm. which, which is kind of nice. Yeah. I wish, um, I, yeah. I kind of wish the Oscars would do that because yeah. there are some, I don't know, maybe not every year. Maybe that's why they don't do it. But yeah. there's just, there's always, there's just seems like there's, there's some movies that you just can't award one you know actor actress award two it's got to be you know it's got to go to the group 
and yeah. then they, mm-hmm. thus they don't get nominated because they're like well we can't figure out who, who needs the nomination so we're just not going to do it yeah but wow. anyway yeah I, and, they, that, and they also have uh outstanding action performance by a stunt ensemble which honestly i can't believe it's been yeah you know, at this point with um, you know, almost a you know, hundred years of the Academy Awards under our, under our belt. We need a technical award for stunts. Well, mm-hmm. the, the Academy category. are just too snobby yeah. about that, stuff. and they also need to start acknowledging motion capture performances. Yes, even if it ends up being like its own category, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. It can be its own category. Yeah, I mean. You're, you're, you you show you show no compunction about making your show a gazillion hours long. Just add one more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on, yeah. Uh, but yeah, whatever. But stun ensemble does the. We've got Falcon, Winter Soldier, and Loki both in that category. So, yeah. And then motion picture. Um, again, a lot of the the same. Uh, but obviously they're not uh, unlike the Golden Globes they're not separated by like comedy drama so this is going to be in theory closer to what the Academy may do (laughs) so we'll see yeah we're just kind of keeping our kind of keeping our eye on things just because um honestly we should have learned our lesson uh, a couple of academy awards ago (laughs) (laughs) if we had if if we had gone with the the other awards ceremonies where uh parasite was winning everything we if we if we had gone with the the we were just so sure that's like oh no the academy will never do that Mm-hmm. and they just gone they, with, they did with it the the popularity that we would we would have we wouldn't have had to watch lawrence of arabia but oh well. <laughs> i just would have had to have watched it later i didn't yeah. know that it was in my future <laughs> i still enjoyed it yeah <laughs> but it's just saying good. pay attention I, to the <laughs> other awards I know, ceremonies i know. <laughs> i i they make a I difference do, I don't choices. like I also don't like losing, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> we shall see. I, I don't I don't imagine that they will be so kind next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think I'm not. <laughs> well, we're we're gonna have different competition this time too. So this yes. this true. <laughs> yeah, it's, yes. it's different people. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> again watch this space yeah don't just don't make me watch any bloody horror slasher flicks i just that's why that is in the fine print (laughs) yes i know that's why it's in the rules i know i know although mazes and monsters broke me i i will i will admit to that that one was at least at least that that one's off the table because we covered it yeah Yeah, and i was like and that was when they're like hey let's do this it sounds awesome or you know this topic sounds what awesome. could it be <laughs> it's tom it's hanks it's gonna be okay right no yeah. no it is very much the, the director is it, it, yeah. direction yeah. and writing 
make a difference. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, Rachel, See our Rachel, episode for that review. Yeah, Ra- Rachel <laughs> shudders every time we mention Lawrence of Arabia. I will probably end up doing the same for Faces and Monsters because yeah. Mm. <laughs> This is a topic, but we're just here. We are. Yep. Well, let's see. Moving on to winning, in a way. Um, Gen Con. Uh, Don't forget, Gen Con badges go on sale at the end of this month. What? Uh, But they have announced this year's charity partners because, you know, they do things like Card Hollow where people come and they take Mm -hmm. their old like Magic the Gathering cards that are just crappy and torn and aren't worth selling or playing with anymore. And they create a giant card castle, essentially, in a section of the convention hall. And on the very last day, people can donate money to help destroy it. Uh, And that money is one of many things that Gen Con does to donate to their chosen charity partners for the year. Um, so they have announced this year's charity partners, which includes uh, Jasper's Game Day, um, which is a organization that started in 2017 um, after the founder uh, Fenway Jones lost uh, some friends uh, to suicide um so it started out as a one-time dungeons and dragons gaming event um has kind of snowballed into a whole thing uh different events at local gaming stores to help raise money and for local uh crisis centers hmm. um so uh, they strive to reduce the stigma around talking about mental health so the world can start to treat it equally to physical health and then the other is the Patachu Foundation, which uh, was founded in 2013, and they prepare and serve daily meals and um, provide learning experiences for children to increase their awareness of and excitement about food. Oh. They serve over 75,000 scratch-made meals for kids annually and fights the root causes of hunger in our community. So that is cool. right. So when you're attending Gen Con, stay, keep your eyes peeled for opportunities to help support those charities. Cool. All right. Uh, last but not least, uh, speaking of the Academy Awards, uh, Gold Standard. Uh, we've got uh, newest episode in the feeds, regular feeds with episode 42, Midnight Cowboy, with special guest Sean Collins of Traveling the Vortex and Flicks with Friends, among other things. Hey, Sean. Yep. Um, and then for our Patreon supporters of Gold Standard, we have this month's Patreon exclusive episode, the 2002 Best Picture nominee, The Hours, which I will go ahead and uh, I should probably mention it to Nick too, uh, that uh, uh, content warning, if you know anything about the movie, uh, both the movie and in real life, because of the content of this movie, there is a very 
we spent a good chunk of the discussion of the movie talking about mental health and suicide mm-hmm. and very tough topics yeah. like that so um mm-hmm. if you are one of our patrons and do you find that not your cup of tea we don't mind if you don't listen you can go back and listen to one of our other patreon episodes like star wars or indiana jones Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes all right then we don't have any feedback so we're going to move on to this week's main topic so we are back with mr billy joel and our ongoing history lesson. Now we're firmly in the 1950s with 1955. So while Marty McFly is off trying to save his parents' future together so that he doesn't disappear, uh, these things are happening. Yes. <laughs> and spoil, spoiler alert, none of it is political. I know, shocker, right? Not really. No, it's it's yeah, all there's... sort of. Well, I mean, it's you know, actors, sports, and yeah. and Disney and music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I yeah, what we were I was looking at this and I'm like, oh, thank goodness, no more communists. <laughs> <laughs> well, with this first one, we are going to talk about Nazis, but just for a little bit. Well, okay, yeah but not you know what i mean yeah i know (laughs) uh so yeah so kicking off 1955 with einstein Einstein. which funnily enough this was if you remember the impetus of this whole series is because i took a a history class in high school where we were assigned a number of lyrics per student that we just drew out of a hat um and we had to do the research which this is this was the late 90s so i did not have the extent of resources that i did now to you actually this. had to open a book yeah pretty much find you know you know children when you you know the, those 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 encyclopedia big... britannica giant slabs of paper between two leatherish covers and you had like this teeny teeny little paragraph of what you were looking for but that's what you that's what you could cite as your as your source mm-hmm. and uh yeah now hello madam librarian we could bring up um, a gazillion online databases not just wikipedia mm-hmm. to, for your research needs and it's okay to use those even if you're even if your teacher says it has to be from a book, she just doesn't mm-hmm. want you looking it up on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but that's another Which topic. Which is why yeah. our show notes look the way it does. Yes. <laughs> Start with Wikipedia, but thankfully Wikipedia has all those little footnotes. Yes. You go, 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 to to. The, go to the footnotes, go to other sources. Wikipedia is fine to start with, but mm-hmm. anyway, so Einstein. Einstein. Uh, anyway. TLDR. What well, my point was, Einstein was my first lyric in the in class of the of the the three lyrics I ended up having to do for the song. Einstein was the first one. So, but I learned even even now, 
you know, I already knew stuff about Einstein to a bit, uh, even then and when learned stuff then, but now doing it again for this. And I'm like, okay, Einstein. Yeah. Considered, you know, one of the greatest scientific minds of, you know, the last, you know, 200 years, not even 200 years, uh, you know, the, the, the theory of real, you know, E equals MC squared and all those things. And, you know, there, his name is synonymous. Reason. His name yeah. is synonymous with genius. But the, the most surprising thing I learned in my research, Einstein was a player. <laughs> he Honestly, may have been a genius, but he loved the ladies. That <laughs> sort of surprises me, but not really. Mostly because, you know, it, it always it always seems like a, you know, whenever whenever we're talking about some sort of famous person, whether they're you know in science or business or or whatever, it's like yeah, they've 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 they they they've got a little um <clears throat> some some side something something going on somewhere. Mm-hmm. Their in their, their personal life, so he had yeah. all sorts of side something something going on. But we'll get to that. So, yes. but I was like, oh, look at you, Einstein, and people say nerds don't get the girls uh yeah yeah uh so yes albert einstein uh born the 14th of march in 1879 to uh herman and pauline uh in um in the kingdom of Württemberg in the german empire so this was actually you know like german empire as opposed to germany <laughs> yes Ger- Ger- german history is quite fascinating the way you know yeah. they had all these kingdoms and empires and yeah the, the when you get when you get east of france europe is a little less cohesive than some places but mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there yeah um which um even though his family was uh jewish he actually attended a catholic elementary school <laughs> uh probably because there weren't a lot of jewish elementary schools so true uh, yeah. yeah um but um he his father owned a uh a company that manufactured electrical equipment um and actually did fairly well um until um they lost a bid to supply the city of munich with electrical lighting because um all their equipment used uh direct current as opposed to alternating current which is what pretty much all electricity is (laughs) these days (laughs) um so they ended up losing their factory um because of it so his family ended up moving to italy um well his parents and like his uncle did but he stayed behind uh to finish his uh you know i guess equivalent of high school um and um this is i think this is kind of where the the uh impetus of the urban legend of einstein was a bad student even though he was a genius comes from he wasn't a bad student 
he did have issues with the school that he was at. He didn't like the way they taught. And that'll do it for certain kids. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Uh so he he didn't he just he didn't like the the way that the school was run and he didn't like the their teaching methods. Um so Yeah, if uh if you don't have res- if you don't you don't respect your your school, your teacher, you know, whatever, what have you, you just don't see a point in like, why do I care? Like, I, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He apparently he wrote that the spirit of learning and creative thought was lost in strict rote learning, which rote learning is essentially memorization. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty much, you know, if you go to, if you go to public school and, united states at least it's that's what it is you you yeah. you, you learn for the test you don't learn yeah. to learn you plug it in long enough to regurgitate right. it on the test and then and you then move you on yeah yeah yes that's another topic for a, another day <laughs> yeah but he actually was very smart um he especially when it came to math and science which should not be a surprise considering where he went in life um and he was ahead of his fellow students which also i'm sure did not help with his comfort of being in school because he probably got bored um Mm -hmm. so because like by the age of 12 he taught himself algebra and euclidean geometry in one summer wow Um, okay i i taught i taught myself cursive when i was in second grade but (laughs) yeah geometry no yeah uh or algebra algebra. Uh, (laughs) none of that just just he also independently discovered his own original proof of the pythagorean theorem um he uh he um started and after that he started teaching himself calculus oh gosh yep there's a reason he's einstein and the rest of us are the rest of us yeah because <laughs> yeah i my 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 years of learning calculus just the less said about it the better yeah me too yeah it's uh it's a good thing that i did not need uh to um pass calculus to graduate high school oh dear uh i should have taken like a more advanced geometry class or something i probably would have done better but no i was like oh yeah i'm gonna take calculus pre-calculus but still (laughs) i have it's like i yeah i have flashbacks to calculus class yeah (laughs) uh so uh yeah so uh he reaches the age of 16 um goes to take the entrance examination for the swiss federal polytechnic school in zurich um here he does technically fail but he doesn't like fail like bomb he just doesn't reach the minimum stand yeah, standard required grade in the general part of the exam so he's, he scored top in physics and mathematics, of course, but it's the other subjects where he just didn't quite muster up. So yeah, he technically failed, but it's not like he 
bombed completely he just his scores just weren't quite high enough um so there's there's a there's a huge difference between i know how to take a test and i actually Mm -hmm. know what this is and Mm -hmm. can you know make up my own stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) with it and have it make sense or you know yeah you know however everyone to phrase it i have no idea what when it comes to to einstein's any of it i'm just kind of like uh uh-huh, yeah he was a really smart guy mm-hmm. not my thing <laughs> yeah but yeah um so on the advice of the principal um he attended a different school in switzerland for his secondary schooling um and while there he was living with one of the uh uh professor by the name of uh jost uh Wintler, where he fell in love with their daughter marie um interestingly enough albert's einstein's sister would later marry the wintler's son paul (laughs) so matchmaker um, matchmaker make me a match yeah um which even though he was in love with marie it 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 never went anywhere um but just just remember that because that's gonna it'll still be important later um, in the meantime, uh, he renounced his citizenship uh, within the German kingdom of Württemberg so he could avoid military service. Um, and by then he had passed the kind of the uh, what in the Europe would be their exit exam um, with mostly good grades including top grades in physics and math of course um so then he enrolled in a mathematics and physics teaching diploma program at the federal polytechnic school um and it was at that school that he met um uh, a woman named uh, mileva uh who was also enrolled there and she was the only woman among the six students in the mathematics and physics uh course teaching course um but their friendship ended up in a romance and um they uh as they were going to school together uh they uh you know obviously had a, a relationship um uh unfortunately because because in this time era their relationship uh, ended up uh, be, uh, uh causing uh Maleva to become pregnant when they weren't married which was highly frowned upon um and um a lot a lot is known actually other than there are some documents that claim that they she ended up giving birth to a daughter who may or may not have been named Lizerl sometime in early uh 1902 um but she came back to switzerland to school without said child um so they have no idea there's they found some letters written by albert that suggest that she was either given up for adoption or she may have died of scarlet fever 
but nobody knows for sure. And nobody knows what her actual proper name is. That was just a name that was discovered mm. in documentation. So actually, no, nobody really knows what happened to this baby. Um, so, but they ended up getting properly married in 1903. Um, and then they ended up having two sons, Hans in 1904 um and then edward in 1910 um and uh by 1914 they were living in berlin um but um uh maleva didn't that did not last for very long um she ended up moving to returning to Zurich with the sons after she found out that Einstein had been cheating on her with Elsa, a woman named Elsa, who happened to be Einstein's cousin. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, so uh, he, uh, Albert and Maleva ended up divorcing in 1919 um and uh as part of the divorce settlement he agreed to give her his uh nobel prize money so i guess that's good um okay that that i don't know why why it's funny well i guess it's because it's like okay you know you're you're in the divorce settlement you know proceedings and you're you know usually you think oh i want the house or i want the car like oh i want your noble your nobel winning yeah (laughs) it's like how many people can that (laughs) yeah that's true the small number of people on the planet can be like yes my divorce settlement was nobel prize money specifically yes (laughs) um the the thing was is even though this marriage broke up because he was now in a relationship with his cousin he still was hard he still harbored feelings for marie the professor's daughter that he was Dang, man with. and in when um maleva was actually pregnant with their second son he even wrote a letter to marie saying and this is a quote i think of you in heartfelt love every spare minute and am so and am so unhappy as only a man can be gosh (laughs) despite that he ended up marrying his cousin after his divorce was finalized (laughs) who's he think he is edgar Allan poe i don't know Uh, and they stayed together until 1936 when she died of heart and kidney issues oh but also it also throughout throughout the years he'd also apparently fallen in love with a secretary named betty who was a niece of a close friend um uh, a bunch of his letters uh acute uh let's see in a volume of letters released by hebrew university of jerusalem jerusalem in 2006 einstein described about six women Wow. With whom he had spent time and from whom he'd received gifts while while being married to Elsa, his cousin. Oh gosh! And then after his second wife died, he had a brief relationship with uh, Margarita, 
uh, Konnikova, who was a Russian spy, who was also married at the time. You know, if he, you know, like I said, Einstein was a player. (laughs) You you know, he could, he could like be one of those, you know, tragic romantic poets if it wasn't for all the physics and math. Yeah, he was that he was so into. It's like, holy cow, dude. Uh, Just pick one. (laughs) One. Yep. Oh. Yep. And and on top of everything else, apparently he was really shitty dad, too. Uh, That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And his his younger son, Edward, ended up being diagnosed with schizophrenia and had to be institutionalized after um, his uh, mother uh his first wife died those poor oh. boys yep seriously yeah so so that was einstein's personal life um uh, and while all that while he's just you know kissing and smooching everybody he's also winning the uh nobel prize in physics if, if for in 19 well it was the 1921 award but the ceremony was in 1922 um so um he and he i'm not even gonna try to get into the stuff that he published papers on he essentially was becoming like a rock star equivalent (laughs) in science and apparently over the place apparently he uh had the uh the personal life to match yeah yeah (laughs) he had quite the entourage (laughs) yeah so that gave him the opportunity to travel a lot so he you know he would go to different countries and you know all over europe and asia and all these places and then eventually he came to the united states several times his first visit to uh new york city was in uh, april of 1921 where he received official welcome by the mayor um and then he did a number of weeks of lectures um it various universities um and uh so uh, i mean he went to spain he went to palestine yeah, he went to all these places um i've been so, everywhere man yeah. i've been everywhere. <laughs> south america the u.s again uh his second visit to the united states in the early 1930s is where he met charlie chaplin and they became good friends um so um uh but also in the early 1930s back in einstein's home country of germany oh uh, yeah yeah there was some stuff happening uh, a little guy named adolf hitler that was uh mm-hmm. coming to power and became chancellor in 1933 um and einstein had always taken the and he would for the his entire life the stance of a pacifist um so um he you know tried to uh, <laughs> you know try not to get into trouble but he recognized that there was trouble and um just a little bit yeah needed to uh do things carefully (laughs) so that especially because he was he's already famous but he's jewish on top of it 
so yeah. that he just has like a, he just realized that there's a potentially a big old target on his back um while he and elsa had been elsewhere in europe the the they had a home in an apartment in within the city of berlin and then they had a cottage um outside of the city and while they were in other parts of europe the gestapo raided their apartment um and then um once um the enabling act took hold which made uh, you know hitler chancellor uh in his government the essentially the government of germany um it was time to bugger out of there it was time to bugger mm-hmm. out of there especially when they also found out that their cottage had also been raided by the nazis and Einstein's sailboat had been confiscated, and uh, apparently they sold his boat and converted his cottage into a Hitler youth camp. Oh, lovely! Yeah. Lovely. <laughs> uh, Nothing so get out now like that. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, we're done. Yeah. So <laughs> as if not literally not having a home to return to. The German government also passed a law barring Jews from holding any official positions, including teaching at universities, which is exactly what what Einstein did. So he was like, well, screw this. So um, he uh, surrendered his passport and renounced his German citizenship. And then he uh, and Elsa took off um, and uh, bounced around essentially for a little while um, couch surfing yeah um yeah That's so what call it. They, they lived in belgium mm-hmm. for a while um and they went to england for a while um on the invitation of a friend who is a british naval officer uh, named commander oliver locker lampson um and uh so he ended up uh staying in uh, Locker Lampson's home in Norfolk um, and uh, Locker Lampson actually uh, along with offering him a place to stay included actual literal bodyguards dang to keep Hitler uh, to, to you know in case the Hitler and the Nazis came a coming for look of Einstein uh, <laughs> so um, yeah Brit- Britain was just being you know they're 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 the they're the little heroes all the way around in this in this matter yeah well and the Mm -hmm. thing was you know while einstein is like bouncing around you know trying to figure out you know how my you know i need a job i need a place to live europe is crazy right now you know you know what are we what are me and elsa gonna do um he was also very concerned about his fellow scientists he was not you know as much as he was the kind of the rock star there were you know hundreds of thousands you know hundreds if not thousands of you know well-established you know uh other university instructors in the sciences that were you know as smart you know just smart like him um mm-hmm. that were obviously very good at what they do that also happen to be jewish um that he knew could also be potentially targeted by the nazis so while he was staying with this naval officer, he was able to use his context to end up meeting up with Churchill. Um, ah. And he essentially asked Winston Churchill to help bring Jewish scientists out of Germany. And 
apparently Churchill was like, absolutely. And since uh, Frederick Linderman, who was a, a physicist to Germany to seek out Jewish scientists and place them in British University. We are concerned here with, a, with an act of humanity, with the maintaining of cultural values, and not least with a measure of considerable political importance. The effect upon all nations, and not least upon the Germans, of the fate of these innocent people, so mal maliciously persecuted, must not be underestimated. To leave these victims to their misery would be a heavy blow to all those who believe in human solidarity and would encourage those who believe only in force and oppression and who act accordingly. Um, and actually, according to Churchill, he said that the, by doing that, by uh, Germany driving the Jews out, that they had low that Germany the Germany and the Nazis had actually lowered their technical standards and put the Allies' technology ahead of theirs. Yeah, that was <laughs> all the way around. That was a bad move by Germany. I mean, yeah, <laughs> just just from a strategic standpoint, you know, with, you know the. It, it, it's kind of funny because you look at you look at Nazi Germany and you're like, okay, so you want to be you know greatest, wonderful, most awesome country ever, and you're gonna get rid of the Jews because reasons. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then then you boot out guys like Albert Einstein and all these other scientists, and it's like, yeah, you're 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 greatest, most awesome, everything. That ain't, that ain't gonna amount to much i mean let's look at you know by the end of the war you had like you had you had all these like they, like they had all these tanks and all these all this military equipment and no one to run it and it didn't work anyway because it was just so poorly made because they didn't have mm -hmm. the the real technical genius or anything behind behind all of it so you know you know, thank goodness they did, but Germany really shot themselves in the foot mm -hmm, <laughs> with mm -hmm. the way that they were doing things. So, you know, from from a from a military standpoint and from a standpoint of okay, you know, you want your country to be something awesome and amazing. You you really yeah, that was that was not a that was not a good plan on any level. Yeah, but hey, you got rid of all those Jews. Mm -hmm. you guys suck yeah <laughs> like i mean it, it goes without saying at this point but seriously yeah. the more you the more exactly. you learn about it the yeah. more you're like yeah. really really yeah. you're we don't you're, you're... We, we don't get political on this podcast but i think it's safe to say that we all agree that nazis suck <laughs> mm -hmm. yes, oh, yes. <laughs> it's good thing good thing with very few exceptions that's that's in the past but yes. anyway yeah. continue with good, good old yeah. albert yes um so he ended up doing the same thing forever several other countries including turkey um requesting placement of german jewish scientists and actually with the help of turkey's prime minister they were actually able to um invite to turkey and save uh over a thousand people um Yay. so that's pretty cool Good. um 
so um his his friend locker lampson the the commander tried to get einstein british citizenship um that actually ended up not working but at that point einstein had actually because received and accepted an offer from the institute for advanced study in princeton new jersey um so um they up and left uh europe for forever <laughs> and moved to new jersey yep yep um so um although even once he was there he also got offers from all those other places but yeah by 1935 he had essentially decided no i'm gonna be i'm gonna stay here in the u.s and apply for citizenship um which uh he did do actually um the immigration and naturalization service of the united states in cooperation with the national broadcasting company has invited a number of naturalized citizens to talk about the american citizenship which they have recently acquired a possession which we ourselves take for granted but which is still new and thrilling to them today we are delighted to have with us as guest on this program the distinguished scientist dr albert einstein who has this very morning just a few hours ago taken his citizenship examination Certainly, there could be no better time for Dr. Einstein to discuss with Mr. Marshall Dimmock, the second assistant secretary of the Department of Labor, some of the reasons for his appreciation of American citizenship. Dr. Einstein, I know that you seldom give interviews, and so I want to thank you on behalf of all of our listeners for coming here today. I'm sure that what you have to say will be of real interest and service to your new country. It is clear to me that it was a self-evident duty to accept this invitation. Though I must tell you that I do not think words alone will solve, will solve humanity's present problems. The sound of bombs drowns out man's voices. In ordinary times, times of peace, I have great faith in the, in the communication of ideas between thinking men, but today I am afraid the intellectual way to appeal to man is fast becoming of little avail with broad force dominating so many millions lives. This morning, Dr. Einstein, I was privileged to be present while you took your final examination for American citizenship. Will you tell us why you, who are international in your outlook and by virtue of your scientific interests, prefer to live in America rather than in any other country. Seven years ago, Mr. Dimock, when asked for the reason why I have given up my position in Germany, I made this statement. As long as, as I have any choice, I will only stay in a country where political liberty, toleration and equality of all citizens before the law is the rule. Political liberty implies liberty to express one's political opinion orally and in writing, and a tolerant respect for any and every individual opinion. That is real American doctrine. But tell me, do you feel that America still fulfills the requirements you mentioned as a place in which to live? Yes, Mr. Dimock. Making allowance for human imperfections, I do feel that in America the most valuable thing in life is possible. 
the development of the individual and his creative power. They may, there may be men who can live without political rights and without opportunity of free individual development. But I think that this is intolerable for most Americans. Here, for generations, men have never been under the humiliating necessity of unquestioning obedience. Here, human dignity has been developed to such a point that it would be possible for people, impo impossible for people to endure life under a system in which the individual is only a slave of the state and has no voice in his government and no decision on his own way of life. Uh, so, um, in the process, uh, he was aware of what Hitler and his cronies were doing in Germany um, and what they could potentially be capable of. Um, and um, there was a physicist, a Hungarian physicist by the name of Leo Z Butcher this, I'm sorry. Cesard? Something like that. Um, who tried to warn uh, the U.S. government that the Nazis were researching atomic bombs and um, the U.S. wasn't hearing it, so uh, he teamed up with Einstein to write a letter that um, was uh, sent to President Roosevelt, uh, essentially saying, hey, pay attention to this, the Nazis bombs atomic bombs no, bad no bad. No, bueno. no bueno yeah no bueno um which was unusual for einstein considering he's considered himself a pacifist but he realized mm -hmm. that you know this was also I, I think in his mind a perversion of science um yeah so um he the, the letter was sent to president roosevelt um and i guess because einstein had his name on it um along with using some of his connections with the belgian royal family um he actually ended up getting a meeting with roosevelt and this kind of was the 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 kickoff to the manhattan project um so while some people associate einstein and kind of call him the the father of the manhattan project he's not really because he never actually worked on it he just kind of pushed the U.S. government into researching, <laughs> trying to get ahead of the Nazis, essentially. Um, so, but he he said later in life that he he said it was probably the the, the greatest mistake in his life, um, even though there was justification the danger that the germans would make them um so yeah it was kind of a a tough thing yeah because you never would you know you, it's like you don't want to see he fell in love with the united states and obviously mm -hmm. he realized what the the nazis were doing was bad so he's like well somebody's got to stop them mm -hmm. but it it wasn't pretty obviously 
I mean, the, what our atomic bombs did in Japan was just, you know, awful. It um, it it was it was a bad situation all around. And yeah. like I said, we don't want to get into like the get out into the weeds because that's not what this section is for. But uh, yeah, yeah, with Japan, it was like it was it was like you know, when are you guys going to stop? And you know, something drastic has to happen, or this will never end. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a it was kind of a, a no win situation. Also, the atomic bomb very little was understood about it outside of even the scientific community. So you know, to them, it was just oh, this is another weapon. Let's give this a try. I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's it it was a bad deal, but it could have been a lot worse if they hadn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's. Yeah. Yeah, let's. We, well, we, they did what they could with the information they had at the time. Yeah, yeah, at the yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, Einstein did become an American citizen. He got his citizenship in 1940, um, which mm-hmm. he was very happy about. Um, he really liked the freedoms that mm-hmm. came with being an American, so um and he kind of he spent the yeah and then post world war ii he kind of spent the rest of his life um you know teaching and lecturing uh but also working um for various uh causes including uh you know jewish causes he became a member of the naacp where he campaigned for civil rights for african-americans um so uh yeah he spent uh a lot of the the rest of his life uh you know traveling around all over the place you know with whatever woman he was with at the time <laughs> uh, that still cracks me up yeah <laughs> to uh he's like, he's like you know trying to end wars and save people and on the side hey baby yeah exactly <laughs> check out the size of my brain no. <laughs> you want to see uh, my you want to see my Nobel prize um oh my gosh oh man i i gotta wonder if like physicists have like all these you know yeah, einstein <laughs> einstein pickup lines or something <laughs> oh i'm sure i am sure i mean it can't all be as socially inept as sheldon cooper <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> oh good grief yeah uh so uh but everything came to a stop on the 17th of april 1955 uh where um a abdominal aortic aneurysm that uh, Einstein had, had previously uh, had surgically uh, reinforced back in 1948 ruptured Oof. and caused uh, quite a bit of internal bleeding. Um, and he, he he literally was working as he was going to the hospital he was working on a a, a speech he was going to give on tv 
and he took it with him to the hospital to work on it but he, he didn't get uh, didn't Aww. get to didn't get to complete it um uh he they wanted to go in surgically and try to repair it and he refused um he said i want to go when i want it it is tasteless to prolong life artificially i have done my share it is time to go i will do it elegantly and that is exactly what happened he died the next morning at the age of 76 wow yeah uh per his instructions he was cremated and his ashes were scattered in an undisclosed location so um they're i don't know if there's some some sort of memorial that you could visit i'm sure somewhere there, the there may be like like statues or somewhere in I'm several sure. places that you yeah. could, you know yeah go pay your respects or however yeah or you know museums and libraries or, or whatever oh like yeah after him yeah absolutely so but he doesn't have an official burial anywhere mm um so that being said his brain was kidnapped or should i say brain napped (laughs) which i am not even going to try to tell this story um (laughs) i it is it will be linked in the show notes there is a uh video on youtube where else you can watch (laughs) about how his brain had been taken before he was cremated and the guy proceeded to hold on to it for 23 years wow okay how do you how do you you know show that off to 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 guess oh hey guess what i have einstein's brain in a jar do you want to see it it's on the mantelpiece yeah look at this i stole it (laughs) pretty much yeah he he was uh what is it like he was a pathologist um so it wasn't like you know like the guy emptying the trash cans it was like oh okay, einstein well. um but yeah uh but yeah he removed it for preservation without the family's permission obviously um it hopes that neuroscience in the future would be able to discover what made einstein so intelligent um the thing is is it took years before they actually started to do tests on it <laughs> so by then it probably wasn't gonna work yeah well, right and the technology's gotten how... better so. well yeah but it's like how how long can the brain i mean I, i'm sure they they took you know steps to preserve it but even oh, yeah. so it, you know eventually it's gonna start to deteriorate one way or the other so mm, it's gonna like yeah. uh what <laughs> yeah that's oh. just funny yeah yeah but like i said i'm not even gonna try to it's a whole week and at bernie's type thing with einstein's brain kind of uh maybe not so much weekend bernie's maybe more um uh pulp fiction with the briefcase uh yeah. <laughs> passes hand to hand oh my goodness <laughs> so <laughs> well that'll be so, a trip yes, einstein mm-hmm. genius playboy philanthropist and in a way brain loser apparently um yeah brain was looted i i don't know by crazy guy by a dude 
yep bye dude <laughs> so oh my oh moving on to someone whose brain did not get stolen uh uh james dean james dean there's no good way to segue from that uh not really no <laughs> no we, we are not billy joel nope uh so yeah james dean a hollywood heartthrob died way too young um in 1955 hence his inclusion um but uh yeah james dean born february 8th 1931 in marion indiana so we get to claim him <laughs> he's a local boy yes uh he's the only child of mildred and winton um and um he did not live actually in marion for very long they ended up moving to santa monica for his father's work um and he went to school in los angeles um and um uh he was had a very close relationship with his mother unfortunately she died when he was nine of uterine cancer um and his father was not able to care for him so he sent him off to live with his aunt and uncle who were a couple of quakers who lived in fairmount indiana so he went from indiana to los angeles back to indiana uh which as someone from indiana i'm sure even in 19 late 1930s early 40s was a culture shock uh <laughs> probably uh, yep uh that being said he was a fairly popular kid in school by the time he got to high school he was playing several sports including baseball and basketball um he actually if you've seen if you ever see pictures of dean in high school um he's actually kind of nerdy looking he wore braces and glasses <laughs> um so obviously he eventually those were both taken care of uh by the time he got to his film career um uh, uh so but after he graduated high school he moved back to california to attend college um but eventually dropped out uh completely by 1951 to pursue a full-time career as an actor um where he did lots of little bit par bit parts one of his first television appearances was actually a pepsi commercial um he got uh the part as john the beloved disciple in uh an easter television special dramatizing the resurrection of jesus um he did some walk-on roles in some several different movies so he was working but it wasn't hugely successful so he's also having to to have a, another job on the side so he worked as a parking lot attendant at cbs studios but that's where he met rogers brackett a radio director uh for an advertising agency who ended up kind of becoming his um you know guide <laughs> through <laughs> uh the craziness that is hollywood um and but it, and Brackett was actually the one that helped him get his first role on Broadway. Um, so he ended up moving to New York City 
uh to do that um he also did uh, uh lots of uh appearances on lots of television here shows here and there uh before gaining admission to the actor's studio to study method acting under lee strasberg um so uh he he really really loved being at the actor's studio um in a letter that he wrote to his uh family he said it, he described it as the greatest school of the theater it houses great people like Marlon Brando, Julie Harris, Arthur Kennedy, Mildred Duncock, uh, Eli Wallace. Very few get into it. It's the best thing that can happen to an actor. I am one of the youngest to belong. Um, so he uh, again did bit parts here and there on TV um and um it was his um but it was through his connections with you know being in the 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 actor studio and everything that uh eventually got him um some roles that caused him to go back to hollywood um so um so by 1953 um he um while he's all doing that um director uh Ilya Kazan uh who we've talked about several times on Gold Standard mm -hmm. uh who Zan absolutely hates uh <laughs> it's a good director terrible person uh go look it up um was working on adapting John Steinbeck's novel East of Eden. Um, and he wanted a Marlon Brando type. <laughs> uh, because by the by now Brando had established himself, obviously, because we've already talked about Brando. He appeared several clumps of uh lyrics earlier. Um and um someone suggested Dean. Um who was still unknown um and so he met with um actually he he met with steinbeck who did not like <laughs> james dean as a person but thought he was perfect for the part <laughs> uh the role of cal in uh in east of eden so he was cast uh in early 1954 left new york headed back to, headed to los angeles to begin shooting um and of dean's three major film roles this is actually the only one i've seen um i have not seen rebel without a cause or a giant um but it's 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 definitely moody <laughs> he's definitely moody uh so yeah there you go um so uh he did east of eden and that event you know you know kick-started him getting more substantial roles so then he got the role of jim stark and rebel without a cause um and then 
um, he wanted to uh, avoid being typecast as a rebellious teenager like he did uh, with the, these two movies. So he took the role of Jet Brink, a Texas ranch hand who strikes oil and becomes wealthy in the movie Giant, um, where he stars alongside um, Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson, actually. Um, so uh so he had a he got a good like year there where he did like three mm-hmm. really good roles um unfortunately that would be it for dean mm-hmm. um unfortunately east of eden was the only of his three films he actually ever got to see released because he died before the other two um were released uh, because he died tragically in a automobile accident which yes dean had a history of loving cars and motorcycles and going fast um mm-hmm. as yep. a lot of young men want to do uh yeah especially <laughs> at the time because it's yes i, I mean the 1950s teenage culture you know the people have you know people have disposable income at least in the united states they you know can buy cars they can buy car like their 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 teenagers can buy cars even mm-hmm. um they have more free time it wasn't like you know in the 30s or you know, 20s and 30s where you know you got to work from the time you you can walk in some places till you know cuz you know if you don't work you don't eat um so yeah the the whole you know car you know having a nice car it it was it was freedom like you could go wherever you wanted and Mm -hmm. that was why it was such a big deal and that's kind of you know the the james dean archetype that's kind of why that that um i don't want to call it a stereotype but i can't think of any other word that 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 image of the 1950s that's why it is what it is because in large part because of james dean and what what you know the movies that he was in and and that kind of stuff and even the car accident to a degree which is you know kind of weird to think about but Mm -hmm. there it is Mm -hmm. um but yeah he was into it he was you know and you know they liked you know they liked to race along the highway and Mm -hmm. didn't end well unfortunately well in in dean's case actually all yeah he i mean yeah he he liked to have fast cars i mean he owns mm. you know lots of you know sports cars is pretty much what he owned you know mm-hmm. porsches and fast motorcycles and stuff but yeah. he got his fix in actual races mm-hmm. so he at least was doing it properly <laughs> quote unquote properly you know not just racing mm-hmm. down the mm-hmm. highway for the sake of going fast he was going to actual Mm-hmm. racing events where that's kind of the point um granted hollywood did not like that and actually while he was filming giant warner brothers it's like you're not allowed to race while we're filming this movie uh and so he's like okay uh <laughs> yeah there there are reasons there are there are rules like that like there there are you know in in some in some contracts as i understand it you can't even go horseback riding because <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, which you know, I've been around horses a good chunk of my life, and I understand why. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but as soon as he was done filming Giants, he was like, "Great, 
time for another race. So he was on his way from Los Angeles to their intended destination was Salinas, uh, which was quite a bit north of Los Angeles, where um, he was attending, intending to race his Porsche Spider. Um, and he originally was going to tow it, but his uh, friend and uh, mechanic, Rolf, Rolf um, told him that he should spend some more time behind the wheel getting more use of the car because he had not had this particular car very long. He just got it like the week before, actually, um, which um, is an interesting story in itself because the day he was the day that that car was delivered um he was out to eat in hollywood and it just so happened that he ran into alec guinness uh who had just uh come to los angeles presumably from england um and you know by this time alec guinness is an established actor <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> uh so uh you know people knew who he was um and james Dean saw him outside the restaurant and he's like you know hey what are you doing and alec guinness is like well i can't get a table and he's like oh i got i got seats at my table come with me um he's, <laughs> you know why not oh well, um, yeah that's just hey i'll yeah. get a table for alec guinness why not <laughs> yeah uh but before they went to go eat he was like hey you want to see something and you know, alec was like yeah sure you know so he, he goes to the parking lot or whatever and he's like ha ta-da, look what do you think and it's this this brand new porsche uh like still had the ribbon on the steering wheel or whatever um and uh you know james Dean was super excited because mm-hmm. you know, he's like oh yay look at my brand new car is it awesome and alec guinness was all like if you get behind the wheel of that car, you will be dead within a week. And that's exactly what happened. Oof. You also met Dean, didn't you, James Well, Dean? my f- very first night in Hollywood, I met James Dean. It was a very, very odd uh, occurrence. Um, I'd arrived off the plane. Those were, you know, it took a long time in those days, about 16 hours flight. And um, I'd been met by Grace Kelly and various people, but I found that I was alone for myself for the evening. And uh, a woman I knew phoned up and said, let me take you out to dinner. And we went to various places, and she was wearing trousers, and they wouldn't let her in any of the smart Hollywood restaurants. Thank you, you know, whatever it was, 1952, 54, something like that. However, we finally went to a little Italian dive, and that was full. And so one got turned away. I said, I honestly, I don't mind just a hamburger anyway. I was hungry by then. And then I heard feet running down the street, and it was James Dean. And he said, I was in that restaurant, you couldn't get a table. And my name's James Dean. He said, will you come and join me? So we said, yes, very kind of him. And then going back into the restaurant, he said, oh, before we go in, I must show you something. Um, I've just got a new car. And there in the courtyard of this uh, little restaurant was a, I don't know what the car was, some little silver, very smart thing, all done up in cellophane with a bunch of roses tied to its bonnet. Uh, And I said, 
how fast you, can you drive? And he said, oh, I can do 150 in it. And I said, have you driven it? He said, no, I've never been in it at all. And some strange thing came over me, some almost different voice. And I said, look, I won't join your table unless you want me to, but I must say something. Please do not get into that car. Because if you do, and I looked at my watch, and I said, if you get into that car at all, it's now Thursday, whatever the day it was, uh, 10 o'clock at night, and by 10 o'clock at night, next Thursday, you'll be dead if you get into that car. I thought, nonsense. Someone had dinner, we had a charming dinner, and he was dead the following uh, Thursday afternoon in that car. It was one of those odd, odd things. Where, where did, I mean, has it ever happened to you before? <laughs> no, I'm glad to say. But it was one of a very, very odd, spooky experience. He was not, I liked him very much, too. I'd love to have known, known him more. Yes. Talk about the, the soon-to-be Jedi Master uh, <laughs> predicting. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's something. Yeah, yeah. So his, his friend and mechanic, Rolf, was all like, hey, but, you know, you've only had this car a week. You should probably get more time behind the wheel. Uh so Which, you know normally yeah that's pr- that that's actually a smart thing to do especially you know brand new car you need to get used to it yeah uh-huh. um so uh you can watch videos and, and stuff and get into more of the details of how everything played out on this particular day uh so i'm not gonna get too into the weeds but yes at one point he was stopped for speeding for going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit it's not like he was doing like 150 Hmm. in you know a 50 mile per hour zone he was going 10 over a 10 over the speed limit uh which even these days it's not a whole lot uh yeah there there are some places you get ticketed for going 10 under yeah Mm -hmm. yeah most most places most everybody is going about five over the posted mm-hmm. speed limit so right um uh so yeah um so yeah he was speeding but he was going 65 at a 55 mm-hmm. the highway right near my house the speed limit is 65 on the highway so he was not going that fast mm-hmm. um the problem was is the car he was driving being a sports car in you know really intended for racing was a very low profile vehicle because uh you know they have to sit low so they can hug Mm -hmm. the ground that's how you get the control to be able to go fast Mm -hmm. and not lose control of your car uh it's all about aerodynamics um so dean is driving his friend rolf is in the passenger seat with him They've got the rest of their crew in another vehicle behind them. And so they're driving north-ish, you know, headed to their intended destination and coming the other direction um, or thereabouts is this uh, quite bigger, heavier Ford. uh, I don't know if it was a uh i don't think it was a truck but it was definitely not a sports car so it was definitely heavier Mm -hmm. uh this 1954 ford being driven by this uh 
guy named Donald Turnipseed. I'm sorry, I should not be laughing at his last name, but it's, he's such a country name. It's like, surely that's made up, Turnipseed. Um, so, <laughs> um, but uh, Seed needed to turn left headed you know uh his direction um and uh because of the a lot of people think it's a combination of of dean's car sitting so low to the ground and the sun that day uh was uh that at the time it would have been blaring you know essentially in turnip seeds window um so he essentially was just blinded. So when he went to turn left, he didn't realize there was a car coming. And Dean saw him, but, uh, and tried to turn out of the way, but just wasn't able to do it. And uh, they essentially hit head on. Um, but because of the Ford being so much heavier, it caused Dean's car to go airborne and flip like three or four times mm-hmm. um, and landed in a ditch uh, beside the shoulder of the roll of the road. Meanwhile, the Ford slid like 40 feet, but never went airborne. Um, and, um, you know, there were other people on the road too they saw it happen so people come rushing to try and help there was a woman that happened to be a, a had nursing experience um that uh according to her dean still had a pulse um at that particular point um so they extracted him from the car uh, apparently his left foot had been crushed between the clutch pedal and the brake um and uh, both he and Rolf were taken in the same ambulance to Paso Robles uh, War Memorial Hospital, which was 28 miles away. Um, but unfortunately, Dean was pronounced dead at all, dead on arrival by the time he reached the the hospital um, because of just the the severe severeness mm-hmm. and the number of his injuries. He had a broken neck, multiple fractures of the upper and lower jaw. Both his right and left arms were broken. A number of internal injuries um so it's like even if he had lived he would have the road to recovery would have been long and hard and obviously his acting Mm -hmm. career would have been over um and then um rolf uh rolf's injuries were fairly serious um he but he did survive but he had a broken jaw a hip femur injuries that required surgery um, and then the driver of the other car um, was only slightly injured with facial bruises and a bloody nose. Um, so um, he did, obviously, the, uh, the local authorities had to do an inquiry. Um, and um, Turnip Seed was brought into... Uh, give his account uh, of what happened and he he said he did not see the the car because of its low profile um, until after he started turning left Um, and um, the 
the jury for the inquiry essentially came back with a verdict of accidental death with no criminal intent, finding him not guilty um, of any wrongdoing. So he was never charged with anything, um, but it did uh, it did follow him around for a little bit. <laughs> But Oof, he did. Yeah. He 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 did eventually eventually get to go go on and uh, start his own uh, electrical contracting business and uh, was fairly successful uh, until he died of lung cancer in 1955. So, um, so yeah. Uh, um, the the thing is is uh while filming giant uh dean filmed a psa for the national safety council about driving fast on the highway oh boy <laughs> yeah <laughs> so did that one ever air uh i don't know if it actually properly ever aired but it is on youtube it's okay. uh, it is linked to the show notes so you can watch it james dean Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Gig. We asked Jimmy over today because he's a racing man himself. A real one, not a crazy one. Incidentally, I think I should explain that Jimmy just stepped over from the set of Giant. And need I add, he plays a Texan. Speaking of racing, have you ever been in a drag race? Are you kidding me? I just thought I'd ask. No, Jim races in the tradition, you might say. Real racing cars, real tracks. How fast will your car go? Oh... An honest miles an hour, clocked at run about 106, 7. You've won a few races, haven't you? Oh, one or two. Where? Well, I showed pretty good at Palm Springs. I ran a Bakersfield. Jimmy, we probably have a great many young people watching our show tonight, and for their benefit, I'd like your opinion about fast driving on the highway. Do you think it's a good idea? A good point. I, uh... I used to fly around quite a bit, you know. I took a lot of unnecessary chances on the highways. And I started racing, and uh, now I drive on the highways, I'm uh, extra cautious, because you know, no one knows what they're doing half the time. You don't know what this guy's going to do with that one. On a track, there are a lot of men who spend a lot of time developing rules and uh, ways of safety. and. Uh, I find myself being very cautious on the highway. I don't have the urge to to speed on the highway. People say racing is dangerous, but I'll take my chances on the track any day than on a highway. Well, Gig, I think I'd better take off. Oh, wait a minute, Jimmy. Um, one more question. Do you have any special advice for the young people who drive? Take it easy driving. The life you might save might be mine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks also to story executive Walter McEwen for telling us how today's headlines help create an absorbing motion picture. We hope when you see Rebel Without a Cause at your favorite theater that this glimpse behind the cameras of how a story was born will help you enjoy the picture more. I'll be back in a moment to tell you about next week's Behind the Cameras. I was going to say, I'm like, oh boy, that would, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
Uh, so they they held his funeral in Fairmont, Indiana, and um, he he's buried at the Park Cemetery in Fairmount. Um, although there's also a memorial in California um, that you can go visit if you want, or you can go visit him in Fairmount, Indiana, <laughs> as well. So. But uh, but yeah, so he never he never got to see his other two movies. Um, he was nominated for Best Actor for East of Eden posthumously, and then also nominated uh, for Giant posthumously. So he's he's the first person to receive a posthumous Oscar nomination, and so far he's the only person to receive two. <laughs> Just because the the amount the sheer amount of work he did in such a small frame of time yeah. that was able to happen, um, so, uh, but yeah, James Dean gone at really young age. He was only twenty four um, in nineteen fifty five. That's just wild. Yep. No. So uh hey moving on to brooklyn's got a winning team brooklyn's got a winning team Talk, you're talking about football uh <laughs> and this be baseball this yeah. is the the, the brooklyn just, baseball just, yeah, just talking about you know you know winning or not winning <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah in this case yeah. the 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 dodgers are an interesting Yes. an interesting yeah. tale to tell because yeah. holy cow yeah mm-hmm. they um they were the the team that would eventually become the dodgers was mm-hmm. initially formed in 1883 by real estate magnet and baseball fan charles Byrne, um along with his brother-in-law who he uh joseph doyle and a fellow friend who was a casino operator named fernandan abel to start the team with him um and they uh they were a minor level team the they'd been nicknamed the grays because of their uniforms (laughs) um that 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 naming convention was not uncommon that's you know yeah how you get teams like the red Sox? (laughs) yeah exactly um and actually they went through a lot of names (laughs) before they like kind of officially had the brooklyn dodgers name and it stuck in the really the early 1930s they i mean they went by the grays the atlantics the grays again the bridegrooms the grooms the bridegrooms again the super baths (laughs) the trolley dodgers the dodgers and then the robins before they finally went to the dodgers and stuck with the dodgers (laughs) sometimes it takes a little time it it takes a while for Mm -hmm. for a name to stick these days they just pick one and maybe the fans will vote on it or something but yeah back back in the day when sports you you know you know organized teams were actually getting going like this it was 
kind of a new concept and it's like okay so how do we do this what do you want to be called i don't know mm-hmm. what color do we wear do we even need uniforms you just you know yeah <laughs> wear wear whatever is in your closet yeah yeah kind of Um, and they weren't the only team in new york was the thing there was also the giants and the yankees yeah although for the longest time the giants were their biggest rival um but obviously with the uh with the yankees and babe ruth (laughs) (laughs) the yankees took off there for a while Mm -hmm. um and now everybody hates them even people who don't follow baseball yeah (laughs) um so uh yeah they had they weren't the best um by the time that they by the time they got the the name the brooklyn dodgers um they were okay they developed a, a you know a a decent devoted fan base um that gave them the uh a sports cartoonist gave them the nickname dem bums which they <laughs> still refer to them um <laughs> even now um, they're in los angeles yeah <laughs> not gonna live this one down are we yeah. no no there, there, there comes a point where you just kind of take it as, as a as a mark of distinction it's like yeah, yeah we're them bums same thing with damn yankees i guess yeah uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah um but uh yeah um uh, that in 1941 actually the batting helmets were introduced to major league baseball by the dodgers <laughs> so i got that coming for him i guess yeah uh, that was good for him <laughs> yeah anyway so but in 1947 uh they really took uh their game play to another level with uh by the hiring of a really really talented baseball player by the name of jackie robinson (laughs) you may have heard of him kind of a big deal they've made a bunch of movies about him fabulous fabulous baseball player oh yeah and he also happened to be black becoming the first african-american major league baseball player so which his uh athleticism and panache for the game definitely helped um Mm -hmm. although they still struggled (laughs) to clinch that oh so you know illustrious world series title um they would win pennants Mm -hmm. quite often they won pennants in 41 47 49 52 and 53 only to lose to the Yankees in all five of those World Series. <laughs> eventually, like said, damn the Yankees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> eventually, the quote, wait till next year, became the unofficial Dodger slogan. <laughs> Get them next year. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and then 51 was especially tough um, where um, they, in August of 51, they led the National League by 13 and a half games over the Giants. They went on, they went uh, 26 and 22 from that time until the end of the season. The Giants went, went, uh, on a, on a, just a huge tear winning 37 of their last 44 games, including seven in a row. <laughs> and at the end of the season, they were suddenly tied for first place, forcing a three game playoff for the pennant. The Giants took game one by a score of three to one. They lost game two, 10 to nothing. So it came down to the final game. The Dodgers seemed to have it locked, holding a 4-2 lead at the bottom of the ninth when Giants outfielder Bobby Thompson hit a three-run walk, uh, walk-off home run. <laughs> to win it for the Yankees, which became known as the shot heard around the world. <laughs> thankfully next year finally came in 1955 where once again facing the yankees um the this time um the uh, uh they won uh they ended up having to go to it, it was a best of seven um the NA had to go to the seventh game uh, and <laughs> it was a double play that ended up getting the Dodgers the win and they won two to nothing at Yankee Stadium it's Brooklyn against New York in the seventh and deciding World Series game in the third inning Rizzuto on second Martin on first McDougal's slow roller hits Rizzuto sliding into third for the final out of the inning Roy Campanella comes to bat in the fourth inning against Tommy Byrne in this score to struggle. And the Dodger catcher lines a hit into the left field corner. Campanella is going for two bases and makes it easily. Byrne gets two men out, but Gil Hodges lines a single to left to score Campanella. Brooklyn leads one to nothing. Yogi Berra in the last of the fourth awaits a Johnny Padres pitch. Hits a fly ball into short left center and runs it out as Gilliam and Snyder converge. A routine play, but suddenly the two allow the ball to drop, and Barrows pitted with a double, but the mishap does no damage. Sixth inning, Reese on first. Snyder sacrifices and is safe when Scourin drops the ball after tagging Snyder. Bob Grimm is later brought in to pitch when Brooklyn loads the bases. Grimm delivers to Gil Hodges, who sends a fly ball into right center. Bob Serb goes over to make the catch, and Reese tags up and scores after the catch. Brooklyn leads 2-0. The Yankees get Martin and McDougal to board in the sixth, and Barra drives a long fly into the deep left field corner. Sandy Amaros races after the ball. Looks to be a sure hit. Makes a clutch catch. The relay to Reese, who whips a peg to Hodges. McDougal has doubled it first to stamp out a fighting Yankee bid. It's a tense struggle into the last of the ninth. Johnny Padres pitching brilliant ball. One out to go. Elston Howard grounds to short. Reese throws to Hodges. Brooklyn wins. And the Dodgers go wild as they mob pitcher Padres who hurls Brooklyn to its first world championship. 
for the Dodgers. It had always been wait until next year. But this was the year. Uh, and then the next year, they proceeded to lose a World Series again to the Yankees. But for that one glorious shining year. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they have not won a World Series since. <laughs> Even after they moved to California and have been the Los Angeles Dodgers ever since. <laughs> well, yeah, there's so there in you know the modern Dodgers. There's been some gross mismanagement and poor mm-hmm. yeah. uh, choices. And I think it's the Giants so. moved to the West Coast. <laughs> yep, but they actually had success. So that's know. true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it 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 was it was kind of funny because growing up, um, I don't remember the the announcer's name, but the, there was this the, the guy that always said the New York Football Giants, and I'm sure my dad's screaming at me like, "I told you who that is!" And I, you know, that's my dad. Why do they call them the Football Giants? Obviously, they're playing football. It's like, well, yeah, because there was the New York Giants at one, the, the, the mm-hmm. baseball Giants mm-hmm. at one time, and you know that name stuck. But yeah, it, it was it was somewhat common if you know if there was a, a baseball team and a football team they they had had the same name but then they obviously got away from that later mm-hmm. in later years for a ver- various reasons but that always amused me like the football giants mm-hmm. <laughs> and now they're in california mm-hmm. well, the baseball ones are anyway yep but there you go in san francisco Mm-hmm. I walked yeah. by their stadium when I was like last there. A couple of times, actually. It's very shiny. It's not Candlestick Park, but I'm sure it. I'm sure it does the job. So, uh, <laughs> candle Candlestick mm-hmm. Park was great until it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> and then they blow mm-hmm. they blowed it up. Yes, now in what just Levi's like they, stadium. Just, yeah, just like they did. Uh, well, they didn't blow up Ebbets Field when the Dodgers left Brooklyn. They tore it down with a wrecking mm-hmm. ball painted to look like a giant baseball. Because uh, mm-hmm. the people okay. in Brooklyn knew that their team was leaving, unlike mm-hmm. the Colts, who up and left Baltimore <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Or you know the way the way the way the the Rams screwed over St. Louis to 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 bugger off to Los Angeles and not have any fans over there. Sorry, Mo, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah. So they played their last game at Ebbets Field, uh, September twenty fourth, nineteen fifty seven, and then they played their first game in Los Angeles that following April in nineteen fifty eight, and they've been there ever since. There you go. Still not won a World Series, so you know. Mm-hmm. At least the Cubs fans can be like, "Well, we've got two now, now." <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. No. All right, Davy Crockett. Davey you know you're all hearing this song in your head Davy Crockett, Crockett king of the wild, the wild frontier, frontier. yep, yep. <laughs> this is why you go to Frontierland at Disneyland and there are those coonskin caps mm-hmm. which there was there was a big actually 
like my brother had one and i think some of my nephews have them but you know you have to yeah. look for them but you know back in the day those 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 puppies were everywhere oh now, yeah mm-hmm. but now whether yeah. it was an actual raccoon or not <laughs> but the still, ones that sold at disney no uh no, no. <laughs> but those were faux mm-hmm. um but yeah uh yeah davy crockett who was an actual person yes um uh who was a a guy from tennessee he was an outdoorsman Mm -hmm. but he was also a politician uh he was a member of congress uh -hmm. (laughs) uh, among other things so back when that probably meant something yeah (laughs) yeah yeah he was he was friends with andrew jackson there for a while um and then they had some ideological differences oh Uh, gee imagine that yeah but uh i yield to the gentleman from tennessee mr speaker fellow members of the congress of these united states i've stood before you a good many times in fights and fun and we've had a laugh or two for the good of the country and our own digestions. But you can fold up your grins and put them away. For you'll hear no jokes from Davy Crockett today. You have before you something called an Indian bill. I don't aim to keep you here much longer arguing about it. You've had enough of that already. But before it comes to a vote, I just want to remind you of something. Expansion is a mighty fine thing. Sure, we got to grow. But not at the expense of the things this country was founded to protect. The government's promises set out in the Indian treaties is as sacred as your own work. Expansion ain't no excuse for persecuting a whole part of our people because their skins is red and they're uneducated to our ways. You wouldn't be doing the settlers no good voting for this bill. You'd only be making rich men out of the land grabbers and speculators that have been trying to get it passed. Now, just who are these scalawags? Well, one of them could be the president himself using this Congress for his own purpose. But I've known General Jackson for half of my born life, and I'm sure he's got nothing but the good of the country at heart. No, it's just a few thieving varmints hanging on by giving dinners and fancy parties, reaching for whatever they can get a hold of. But they're no count lot about as natural as flies around a molasses barrel. The real scallywags in this here capital of the brave and free is us, you and me. And I'm the worst of the lot. Reckon I've missed as many sessions as any of them. Out shooting my mouth off when I should have been here tending to business. It's nobody's fault but our own if a bill like this gets passed. We got a responsibility to this strapping, fun-loving, britches-busting young bar cub of a country. We got a responsibility to help it grow into the kind of nation the good Lord meant it to be. If we rired up and showed that we were the kind of men our friends and neighbors figured we was when they sent us here, a bill like this would never live long enough to even get on our desk, let alone come to a vote. Uh, but Those yeah, so, <laughs> but uh, Walt Disney, who actually this will this will circle back around when we get to our last lyric, actually, mm-hmm. um, in the early fifties, needed some cash, and because yep. he, he was working on a big project <laughs> uh-huh. that we're gonna get to, um, uh-huh. and one of the ways he figured out that he could make some money is to make stuff to put on TV because he recognized tv's potential mm-hmm. uh kind of like mr rogers did uh 
where he's like, this is, this is something that's going to take off and become very commonplace and it can be used for good or can be used for bad. In this case, while Disney's like, it can be used for money. Um, whether that's good or bad, that's up to you. Um, yeah. So among the other things that Walt Disney put together uh, was the Disneyland kind of series, which was really just a, a blanket or an umbrella title for whatever Walt could come up with to show on TV and get that sweet, sweet advertising dollars from ABC. Um, mm-hmm. And also merchandising. <laughs> Merchandising, Merchandising. Yes. yes. Uh, so Spread they came up money with money yeah, They came up with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ended up only just being a short series. It was a five-part series um, that aired on ABC from fifty-four to fifty-five, called David Crockett, um, starring Fess Parker as the titled David Crockett and Buddy Epson pre Beverly Hillbillies. Um, as Crockett's friend George, um, and uh, obviously the theme song, The Ballad of Davy Crockett, very catchy. We all know it, mm-hmm. even if we never saw a lick of Davy Crockett, you know, in our life, we all know the song when we hear it. <laughs> yep. Very catchy, recorded by a lot of people. Uh, Fess Parker had a a, a version he did. Uh, there were international versions in other languages. It was a very successful song. Um, yeah, out, out inside of the the show. Um, but it also kick uh, the it also helped kickstart the Crockett craze mm-hmm. of the time period where we just kind of, the the United States just kind of had this fascination with the american frontier you know it was crockett but it was also you know you had john wayne and it's it's kind of where like the western genre got kind of got started honestly like um yeah yeah, so i mean these these crazes these genres they go and kind of in you know in in ebbs and flows like you know right now we've got the superhero genres and they'll go for maybe 20 or so years and but yeah this is kind of where that that whole craze with the westerns and 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 that that sort of thing started and you know okay maybe maybe my memory is cheating but i swear i saw a movie version of this like you know with fest parkers davy crockett like like it was on it was on I feel like I watched it on Disney Channel or or something like that, and maybe maybe it was just all cobbled together. But to me, I swear it was a movie. Yeah, well, and not yeah, a mo- yes, yes, and no. Okay. Um, there was the um, there was the uh, the series started with David Crockett, Indian Fighter. That was kind of episode one, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of weird, kind of like a Doctor Who type thing where you could either call it an episode or a series or a story. Um, so the, you got your second part, which is David Croc goes to Congress, um, where he you know, goes, he gets a seat in the Tennessee House of Representatives, and then later the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, and then David Crockett at the Alamo 
<clears throat> which if you, is, if you know how that story ends <laughs> which is interesting mm-hmm. considering that's episode three considering david crockett died at the alamo but yeah <laughs> <clears throat> but uh yeah um and then there was davy crockett's kilbo race um which aired in november 55 so this aired after the alamo episode um and then there's davy crockett and the river pirates which aired december of 55 um but what they did was the they did the first three episodes as is and then the other two episodes the final two episodes were edited together as a theatrical film called davy crockett and the river pirates that's probably what you saw that that could be because yeah I and just, then they I released it on home it. video yeah as davy crockett two movie set okay because i was like i remember rent i remember like we rented it and then I saw it on Disney Channel or something. And I so every time I've seen it come up, it's like, oh, I saw that movie. It was a miniseries. What? <laughs> so it confused the heck out of me and made me think, did I really see this or did I just make it up? But nope. it's just all of this just seems like this is a thing I saw. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's I mean, it's it's a fun it's a fun show. It's a fun, fun little flick and definitely a a. a, a entertaining piece of you know american nostalgia you know kind of it's good to see like kind of where the western <coughs> movie genre at least or yeah movie and tv genre got got started and why it, it, it's just and it's kind of fascinating like how into american history walt disney was and you know that's where you kind of get Frontierland and and some of these other things that he was working on um but yeah it's just I mean, it's one of those I'm like, I kind of want to watch it again just to, you know, refresh my mind of what it was like. Because, yeah, like I said, it's it was when I was a kid and it was a long time ago. And and I don't know, is it even on Disney Plus? I haven't really checked lately. I... Um, but it's 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 a great. Yes. OK, yeah. That was the other thing my dad kept asking is Davy Crockett on there. And I'm like. I should check and then I forget yep. too but yeah so go so go watch it I mean it's definitely it, it well I mean it's it's not necessarily historically accurate but well, no it was, it was no. made for kids really it was made for so. kids is you know a tv show so yeah. you know the, the the you know make this story exciting make it you know you know kind of nostalgic and, and so it's not going to be all you know, the dark and dour sort of westerns that we get from time to time Remember now the alamo yeah but it's 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 fun i i remember really enjoying it and just but i, I like i said i i grew up watching westerns and and things like that my it's one of my dad's favorite things and every even now when we go to visit he'll always have some cowboy movie on tv and and that sort of thing so it's it's sort of it's sort of in my blood to i mean i know a lot of people kind of dump on it just dump on the genre for whatever reason and you know that's fine uh, it's just it's something i enjoy and just from time to time and davy crockett is definitely one of those it's mm-hmm. it's like ah oh, this is fun and it's just kind of it's just kind of nice and relaxing and it's it's good storytelling 
yeah that 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 guy disney he kind of he knew how to, how to spin a good yarn or two yeah <laughs> and he knew how to merchandise too especially yes those he coon, did especially those coon skin coon skin what was being bought what was being sold i don't think there was very few items that escaped uh, being commercialized uh, from draperies, bedding, uh, lunch boxes, um, all kinds of toys related to the, the rifles and the fort and the coonskin caps. I think we, we showed that uh, environmentally the raccoon was uh, very uh, hardy as a survivor. <laughs> I don't think we made a dent in the raccoons, and a lot of the other animals were were pressed into service for the caps. Uh, they uh, they had books, uh, they had comic books, um, records. I made my first recording. Uh, Disney did not have a recording studio, and so uh, I recorded the first record for Columbia which was Davy Crockett and, and uh, the Cherry Song on the back. Uh, Walt Disney was approached by Archie Blyer of Cadence Records to that he wanted to lease the master that I had put out in October of 54, and it was shown in the very first Disney television show purported to be my screen test where I'm singing the song. The record was released in Boston, and it started to take off, and that's what excited uh, Archie Blyer at Cadence. Disney said, we're going to do our own records uh, company, so we, I don't want to let you have the master. And so Blair said, can we, um, can we cover the record? And so Disney said, sure. So Bill Hayes, who was an actor known in, in films and Broadway and, and television, recorded Davy Crockett, and I think he sold two and a half million records almost before I got out of the shoot with mine but it was it was an interesting thing um incidentally my wife uh, was a singer and when i met her she was singing at a at the townhouse hotel in los angeles and i brought davy crockett home uh to my apartment and invited her over and i was rehearsing it and i said uh, what do you think of this uh this song and she listened and she said i think it stinks <laughs> So we still kid about that. What's her name? Her name is Marcella, um, and uh, Marcella Reinhardt. I think her singing name was Marcy Rain or something like that. I've forgotten a long time ago. But anyway, I owe her a, a debt because uh, she helped me with the dialogue when I was studying for the uh, the film. Caps, which it had had were supposedly worn by actual people pre you know the 1950s but well you know back uh, in the day you know if you you know especially in rural areas where you know you're out in the middle of nowhere and you you go hunting that's how you put you know food on your table mm -hmm. you don't waste any part of of the animal yes so so people if it worked for the animal it'll work for you yeah and people (laughs) wore those not to be a, as a fashion statement or because it was cool it was because hey my head is hot in the winter and this raccoon ain't using his his fur no more so mm-hmm. we're gonna make a hat out of it and it was practical and it was available and there you go 
Yep. Yep. That being said, the ones that you could buy at the at the the Disney parks, one the you know Disneyland once it opened, um, among other places, were not actual raccoon because the they wouldn't have been able to keep up because at the height of popularity, um, they were the coonskin caps were being sold at a rate of about five thousand a day. Although although. You know, people would be, you know, say, oh, we're, you know, we're afraid of raccoons going extinct. Now they, they breathe like rabbits and they carry a lot of disease. So, but yeah. still it's, you, 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 you want to, you want to make it fake for, for, yeah. for that, for the yeah. demand that you have. But I mean, that was not, the old, that, I mean, yeah. that was also the, the only merchandise that, that mm-hmm. Disney had licensed with the Davy Crockett name too, but obviously those were the most iconic, but they, I mean, once Walt figured out merchandising, way back with mickey uh yeah yeah he was doing that with everything so by the end of 1955 americans had purchased over 300 million dollars worth of davy crockett merchandise yep so yeah (laughs) um and he tried to Walt would try to uh repeat that with uh several other historical figures but they did none of them quite worked as well as the davy crockett so they didn't they didn't have the same kind of catchy theme tune yeah it's all about the music yeah maybe um although uh fess parker after playing david crockett would go on to play daniel boone so well okay also wearing a coonskin cap <laughs> it it was it was a thing yep and not not out of any fashion statement it was practical yep uh so um somewhat disney related disney connection although it's not why it's in 1955 uh but peter pan was adapted by disney into an animated feature-length film that came out in 1953 uh good for mr smee did pan so good form when you did this to me my cabin <laughs> cutting your hand off was only a childish prank you might say aye but throwing it to that crocodile that cursed beast liked the taste of me so well he's followed me ever since licking his chops for the rest of me <laughs> he'd have heard you by now captain <laughs> if he hadn't swallowed that alarm clock but now when he's about he warns you, as you might say, with his tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. upsetting the poor captain there'll be no end outs today she now she go on go on off it off with you i say go away go away go away out of it well well a codfish on a hook i'll 
get you for this plan if it's the last thing I do. I say, Captain, do you hear something? No. 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 Well, Mr. Crocodile, do you like codfish? You do? Oh, Peter, no. So, but obviously, Peter Pan, the character created by J.M. Barry, uh, first appeared in print in 1902 um, in The Little White Bird and uh, would uh, eventually become a play in 1904. Um, also written by Barry. Um, I think we all know the basic story of of Peter Pan. Um, although in the although in the book he 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 takes off when he's only a week old. Sure. Yeah, he was seven days old. <laughs> yeah, every every he story from that's his nursery. To- to Kensington mm-hmm. Gardens in London, where the fairies and birds taught him how to fly. He's all—it's seven days. It's a fairy tale. I mean, I there's know. there's there's lots of like you know Greek myths, like you know Hercules strangling the serpents from his crib, or you know stuff like yes. that. So, yeah, and like it in in folklore and mythology, it is not the most far fetched thing that you could possibly have come up with. <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, but uh, the reason that it appears in this particular chunk of uh, lyrics is because in 1954, a Broadway musical was developed. Um, and um, it's uh, just called Peter Pan, um, starring uh, Mary Martin as Peter because really since the original stage play written by barry uh peter has been played by petite young ladies uh because you know you don't have the voice change so it sounds more like a young boy yeah and um and there's you know there's a reason well i don't i don't know how it is on on broadway and things like that but you know getting getting a child actor uh, in a too. play is is a little tricky i mean i i don't doubt there are kids who could do it but they are few and far between so you know if you're going to if you need a, a young boy a character that's a young boy it's better off for, for a stage play you're better off getting getting a, a petite female <laughs> actress to 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 do the part it just yep. it just that's just how it is <laughs> yep um so the uh musical made its first premiere in july of 1954 at the curan theater in san francisco where they did essentially a a test run um for four weeks and then did eight week run in los angeles and then eventually it opened on broadway in october of 1954 at the winter garden theater um and uh where it was planned for a limited run which I like the I love the idea that a limited run is 152 performances. 
I know. I, I'm sure. I'm sure Shalane's over there going like, "Well, duh, yeah, yeah," because <laughs> <laughs> you know she knows theater. But yeah, I'm just like, "What?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which uh, both Mary Martin and Cyril Richard, who play Captain Hook, won Tonys for their roles. Um, but in uh, it closed. Uh, after doing that 152 performances in February of 1955 because it was going to be done live on television. Can you really fly? I'll teach you how lovely to fly. I'll teach you how to jump on the wind's back and the way we'll go. Ooh. One day when you're sleeping in your silly bed, you might be flying about with me, saying funny things to the stars. How do you do it? You just think lovely wonderful thoughts and up you go I'm flying look at me way up high suddenly here am I I'm flying I'm flying I can soar I can read and what's more I'm not even because NBC, whose parent company was RCA, who made televisions, really wanted to show off their new color TVs. Ah. So uh, there was a uh, series on NBC called Producers Showcase, um, which, you know, kind of a, a... variety not a variety but you know television series kind of like walt disney's disneyland where you can just kind of show whatever the hell you want um it's like hey look at this cool thing and we can mm-hmm. show you because mm-hmm. it's on the telly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep so on march 7th 1955 nbc presented peter pan live as part of producer's showcase with most of the original nearly all of the show's original cast um it became the first full-length broadway production on color tv um it attracted a then record audience of 65 million viewers the highest ever up to that time for a single television program nice and mary martin actually would win an emmy award for this so she'd win a tony and an emmy for playing the same role there you go and you know back in the day it was kind of you know this novel thing that hey we can you can do stage productions but you can see them from the from the comfort of your home mm-hmm. and not because i to, mean like, as as, yeah. as exciting as broadway is not everybody can get to it no so no. being able to show it on something like television especially in color mm-hmm. was yeah this was a huge thing yeah I mean, I, I know in recent years, uh, TV station, you know, TV um, networks have been like, "Hey, let's do these live things," and some of them have worked, and some of them 
haven't quite so much. Yeah. Like but, NBC uh, did Peter Pan Live back in 2014 mm-hmm. with Christopher yeah. Walken as Captain. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that it's one, a that musical. Was, yeah. Uh-huh. That that one was just you got to watch it for the train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty yeah, much. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's like okay, if you want to do these live things, how about you get actors like actual broadway actors who know how to do this instead of just oh hey here's this big name celebrity that we're good that yes. we think are gonna I mean, no friends to christopher walken no no think, but it's i oh, think no. musical he's uh, i mean granted he does a good job in the hairspray movie adaptation but he doesn't have to do a lot of singing and dancing in it so yeah yeah well and, and a with smaller it- role compared to captain hook yeah well and Uh and you know be having it be live i mean in a in a in a movie or something you know you have take after take after take and they edit it together and make it look good and and all these things when it's live you do it right or you improvise Mm -hmm. or you just kind of go on with it which Mm -hmm. which is one of the great things about seeing a stage production broadway or otherwise um just because it's because you know the actors they they just have to go out and do it they don't get a do-over which is to Mm -hmm. me i mean i to me when i go see a a theater production that's what i'm like dang these guys are good because i know i couldn't do that um and that's you know and that's not to disparage you know people who make movies it's just it's two different formats you know but to be able to see a live stage production on tv is is cool as as long as it's not like hey come watch these idiots you know screw up all the time because they don't know how to you know they're, they're not necessarily good at, at doing live stage productions it's like i you know want to see something you know quality i guess mm-hmm. <laughs> that isn't just sort of a gimmick but mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean that that whole concept it's like it can be done it's just you know don't 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 half-ass it <laughs> please yeah. mm-hmm. Because that's kind of rude to the to the audience and to your actors. Yeah, but the fact the fact that NBC did it in in 1955 and with with a production that was already a stage production, they just you know filmed it and broadcast it. That's that's cool. I like mm-hmm. that. And it's like do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure there's some hoops to jump through with Broadway and and all that stuff to to do that kind of thing. But I like the idea. Yeah, especially because I haven't been able to go see a live theater production in going on three years now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I you know I know there have been some like streaming online. It's just getting to it, but yeah, theater theater is great. I enjoy it yeah. when I get to it when I get to see it. Oh, there you go. Yeah the nineteen the nineteen ninety one Broadway run Captain Hook played by jk simmons <laughs> dude 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 okay okay i want to see him as as captain hook i don't care like they have to do another yes. another peter pan movie or something dude i want it i want it i must have this, I must have this in my life oh <laughs> Yeah. Shut up and take our money, please. We will pay mm-hmm. for it. Yes, <laughs> yes. Give me now. Yep. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. I, I, I just, I, I love. I, Peter Pan is one of my favorites, and I love all the you know adaptations and and retellings and things that they've that people have done, and it's just it's just a fun one. It mm-hmm. really is, and it's and it's still Woo. very. 
a very popular mm-hmm. franchise. So yeah, I mean, look, Once Upon a Time <laughs> did a yes. storyline with Peter Pan. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, I keep maybe thinking not I'm... the best advice, but but then it, it gave so us it gave us their version of Captain Hook, which ow! yes. Hey, yes. <laughs> yes. Hi. Hello, Guy Lina. Yes. Yes. There there is a reason that uh, I asked Jared to cosplay as Captain Hook before we were even married. <laughs> we were engaged. We weren't married yet. And he went along with it and it was it was awesome. <laughs> it was like, yes. You are the one, my dear. <laughs> and he hadn't even seen the show. I showed him some pictures. He's like, oh, yeah, I could do that. (laughs) Nice. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, our second to last Elvis Presley. Presley. You may have heard of him. Elvis Aaron Presley Bone, January 8th, 1935, in Tupelo, Mississippi. To Vernon and Gladys. He was actually the second born of a set of mm-hmm. twin boys. Uh, his brother Jesse, who was born 35 minutes before Elvis came into the world, was born stillborn, unfortunately. Aww. I was going to say, I was like, I didn't know he was a twin. Oh. Mm-hmm. I think a lot, of, a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, uh, there could have been two of them running around possibly oh man i don't think the universe could have handled that uh, maybe yeah. um so uh while living in mississippi uh he uh did his first he did his first public performance uh in 1945 so at the age of like nine or ten ten he entered a singing competition at the mississippi alabama fair and dairy show where he had to stand on a chair to reach the microphone (laughs) all right (laughs) where he sang a country song called old shep he placed fifth well you got to get your start somewhere yeah Mm -hmm. well it, it really i mean he'd been introduced to music in church Mm-hmm. uh as a lot of southerners do um, yeah yeah the you know all you know pretty much all, all of the you know, old-time great especially country music stars you know they talk about you know singing hymns and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that and you know johnny cash hank williams yep all all that yeah, yeah. and it wasn't long after that where he received his first guitar as a birthday present um and he got basic guitar lessons from some uncles and a pastor at the church at the family church but really he just learned to play by ear he never learned how to like read music properly um he just kind of wung it and was good at it (laughs) yeah i mean that's actually fairly common amongst you know professional musicians it's like they don't sit there and think okay now this this one's gonna be a c chord they just kind of like just strum especially with the guitar they just kind of strum like oh hey that sounds good and then mm-hmm. they like figure out how did i do that and and just 
you know, they just kind of play it until they're like, Hey, this, this, this sounds great. And it's not until like, Oh, I've got to you know recreate this, that maybe they'll write it down or, or sometimes they'll just, you know, figure it out or yeah. So, so they don't, it, it's not necessarily rec- a, home recorders became a thing. They could tape record themselves, which is what yeah. Paul McCartney does. Cause he doesn't know how to read or write music either. Yeah. It's just like, what sounds good, which, you know, for, because I've always that's one thing that I've just kind of fascinated me about people who write music like I can't I, I can't write music for 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 squat mm-hmm. but like I could I can read it and I'm it's like, like how Greek to me <laughs> yeah it's like how do you decide that's what it's gonna be and and it's just they have an ear for it and it's it's mm-hmm. to me it's amazing because it's like dang it, it it impresses me like I I mean I've taken piano lessons i took guitar lessons when i was in college and i loved it i wish i kept up with it because i love the guitar um just like dang i'm really i'm really impressed by people who can do that yeah me too uh so uh yeah so yeah he he had the guitar he learned to play he, but he was very shy um although once he hit sixth grade he actually started bringing his guitar to school on a daily basis and he would play and sing a little bit during lunchtime hmm. um but uh he was he was teased being referred to as the trashy kid who played hillbilly music <laughs> really yeah i just okay mm-hmm. so so kids just so you know people uh-huh. didn't people yes people didn't like elvis either when he was a kid and look where he ended up yep mm-hmm. so there you go there's your life lesson <laughs> screw yep. them heaters mm-hmm exactly so uh 1948 the family moved to memphis tennessee um and uh that by then he was in high school um where he received a c in music in eighth grade Hmm. his music teacher told him that he had no aptitude for singing so he brought his guitar the next day and sang a recent hit to her to prove otherwise a uh, classmate later recalled that the teacher agreed that elvis was right when he said that she didn't appreciate his kind of singing <laughs> so it wasn't that he couldn't they just didn't like the style that he was doing yeah didn't, didn't this this feels a lot similar to to albert einstein i mean maybe maybe not in in you know parallel terms but there's 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 some uh there's some similarities here between mm-hmm. the two and uh yeah. yeah yeah so during his junior junior year of high school he started um blossoming into the elvis that we would eventually know he grew his sideburns out started slicking back his hair with uh, a combination of rose oil and vaseline sorry 
I don't he know started, why I'm laughing. Yeah. He started wearing flashier clothes. Um, no, he did end up uh, performing in a like variety show, singing and playing his guitar. Um, he, which helped him with his popularity. <laughs> uh it does no. help it, he really yeah yeah being in memphis he was able to really like immerse himself into the music culture that was developing in that part of the country you know there were record stores he could go to that had jukeboxes and listening booths so the customers can go and listen to stuff um you know he listened to country among other things uh you know southern gospel uh he re he regularly went to uh monthly uh performances downtown of of gospel white gospel groups um he listened to some of the regional radio stations that played and this is not me this this is i'm just using the words they use at the time race records um you know very blues very heavy r&b you know very yeah yeah well we what we would equate more to african-american sounding music um, yeah and Which, by the time he graduated high school in 53 he was like uh ah, music is my thing it's gonna be my yeah my future yeah i mean those those like blues and things like that it was, it was blues country all of that just that 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 really informed you know elvis's style mm -hmm. pretty much and so that's you know at any kind of he kind of came out with his his own thing for the time mm -hmm. um so yeah so yeah. all of those influences really stuck with him yeah so in august of 1953 he went to sun records uh which you can still go visit if you go to memphis um where he paid for uh, enough studio time to record a two-sided uh disc that was supposedly a birthday gift for his mother mm -hmm. um although there are other people that think that he really yeah that he was also hoping to maybe be discovered um because <laughs> there are other places you could have gone to do the same thing for less mm -hmm. money uh, but the fact that he specifically went to a actual record, you know, company, yeah. um, the, uh, but it, nothing really came of it other than the fact that, um, the receptionist, when he went, you know, checked in, asked him what type of singer he was. He's like, I sing all kinds. Um, and she's like, can you elaborate more? He's like, what do you sound like? He's like, I don't sound like nobody yeah that's uh, yeah, but the, the the owner of sun sam phillips did uh notice enough to ask the receptionist to like make a note mm -hmm. uh of of his name and any other notes and she wrote down good ballad singer hold um <laughs> uh, so he came back uh in january 54 to do another two-sided uh recording again nothing came of it um he auditioned for a local vocal quartet didn't get it told his father they told me i couldn't sing 
Although what uh, one of the members later claimed that he was turned down because he didn't demonstrate an ear for harmony. So, again, a little different than just being flat out told he couldn't sing. Uh, so in the meantime, he began a got a job uh, driving a truck for a local electric company and was learning to become a an electrician. <laughs> uh, so in the meantime, Sam Phillips, the owner of Sun Records, um, was looking for a new artist to promote. Um, he was looking for someone. He he was looking for someone who could bring to a broader audience the sound of the black musicians, for whom Sun primarily focused on, um, as the receptionist reported um her name is marion uh she said over and over i remember sam saying if i could find a white man who had the negro sound and the negro feel i could make a billion dollars he's not wrong <laughs> no he's not <laughs> no um he ended up getting a demo and he thought that maybe uh, it was a ballad and he thought maybe it would suit this kid who'd come in a few times so it brought him in Presley was okay, um, but the despite that not panning out, Phillips is like, just sing what you know, just sing as many songs as you know, um, and it was impressive enough that uh, Phillips was like, all right, we're going to schedule an, a, a rec proper recording session here, and invited in uh, guitarist uh, Winfield Scotty Moore and upright bass player Bill Black um and that uh recording session which was held on july 5th um was not going so well uh they were about to give up and go home when elvis started playing on his guitar and um started doing his own rendition of uh that's all right and um Phillips was all like, oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> mm -hmm. Stop what you're doing. Hold up. Back up. Let me hit record first. <laughs> and yes. Go. And yes. <laughs> days later it was playing on memphis radio um and a local uh radio station and it took off <laughs> um so they ended up uh recording a, a cover of bill Monroe's blue moon of kentucky which became the other side of the disc um uh, which was and that was released as a, a single with that's all right on the a side bloom and of kentucky on the b side um so uh, they started playing at clubs and other small you know public performances um 
it was at their uh, appearance at the Overton Park Shell where Slim Whitman was headlining um, is where Elvis uh, first started doing his gyration leg hip hippie you know the movements that elvis is known for the the hip thing mm-hmm. the hip it was, thing it wasn't which, forrest gump guys yeah no nope. yeah. <laughs> uh which apparently this was because he was responding to the rhythm of the music but also nerves uh but yeah. the young women in the audience lost it <laughs> 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 and his fellow band members were also very physical with their playing so it was just it was very visually stimulating along with the music also being fun uh so that kind of became their thing um so uh to the chagrin of good. mamas yeah. everywhere yeah although when <laughs> mm-hmm. when elvis did his one and only appearance at the grand old opry uh in 54 uh they got like golf claps <laughs> oh dear yeah yeah the opry manager at the time jim denny told uh sam phillips that the, his singer was not bad but he just did not suit the the program um so they went to the louisiana hayride which was apparently the Opry, Opry's chief and a more adventurous rival. Uh, it was based in Shreveport, Louisiana. It was broadcast on 198 radio stations in 28 states. And um, their first set was okay. Uh, it wasn't that lively because Presley was once again struck by nerves. Um, the second set was way more energetic, got a much better response. Um, by then they had had a, a drummer come in, which, uh, was unusual for music at the time. Uh, drum drummers and drumming was not a common thing. Um, so it gave them a very distinct sound. Um, and uh, because of that performance, the Hayride uh, signed Presley for a year's worth of Saturday night appearances. So he was able to trade in his old guitar and buy a brand new one. Uh, so, um, and they um, started playing uh, more locations like Texas and Arkansas. Um, but apparently, a lot. Along with uh, helping kickstart the career, the Louisiana Hayride's uh, sponsor was Southern Made Donuts, which a number of the other performers at the Louisiana Hayride, like Minnie Pearl, Johnny Horton, Johnny Cash, you know, people we've heard of, uh, love that particular sponsor. So Presley. Uh, did his one and only product endorsement commercial for said donut company, which was never released um, in exchange for a box of hot glazed donuts. And apparently this is where Presley's lifelong love of donuts began. Oh dear. (laughs) 
uh, I mean, I can't blame him. Donuts are amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, <clears throat> but uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, started doing some television, uh, among other things. So was having a fairly successful run although uh places sometimes they would go to places and be very confused about what exactly they were hearing and saying um you know country music stations would be like well he's too r&b for us to play him and then like the you know the the stations that played more of the r&b you know colored music would be like well he sounds too country so uh it took a while for the radio some radio stations to catch on um so um but it got to the point where they were doing bigger shows they played some shows in support of bill haley who as we know from previously rock around the clock uh (laughs) had been the hit uh, number one hit the previous year um and actually bill haley told elvis that uh he had a natural feel for rhythm and advised him to sing fewer ballads um and at the country disc jockey convention uh he was voted that the year's most promising male artist uh so that so at that point major labels were coming up with offers um and uh you know phillips had been there the entire time um and was kind of helping as um you know pseudo management um and uh they ended up striking a deal with rca victor to acquire presley's contract with sun for forty thousand dollars which at the time elvis was 20 years old and apparently still considered a minor so his father had to sign the contract oh my gosh yeah this is getting getting so november 21st 1955 elvis presley signs with rca victor a major record label and would start churning out recordings the following year and well we kind of know how it went Mm -hmm. until he passed yeah in 77 not bad from a kid from mississippi yeah and you know his uh impact on i don't know just on pop culture in, everything in general on everything yeah mm-hmm. music pop culture uh even like you know conspiracy theories elvis is not dead yep. he just went home mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. it's just he's flipping burgers at a, at a diner in the middle of nowhere we've all read good omens yes yeah too yes <laughs> he's working at the waffle house a few a few of the kids when i was in elementary school we 
we have to sell magazines and we wound up the highest sellers wound up getting a limo ride out for pizza and the limo driver kind of looked like him and he was playing in the ghetto (laughs) (laughs) on the ride to the pizza place and it's like Hmm, a lot of conspiracy theories were going on at lunch that day. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. this was our limo driver. <laughs> so there's who, Elvis for you. Yeah. You couldn't, he couldn't have known when yeah, mm-hmm. they made that agreement with RCA in late 1955 that mm-hmm. he would become Elvis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Last, but certainly not least, I'm very excited about this. Oh, yes. You've been chomping at the bit for this one. (laughs) Disneyland, 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 Disneyland. Disneyland. Hmm. Never heard of it. What's uh, what's all what's all that about? <laughs> Rachel, why don't you why don't you give us the rundown? What is Disneyland after all? Uh, Disneyland Park, officially Disneyland, the first of two theme parks built at the Disneyland Resort in Anaheim, California, opened July 17th, 1955. <sighs> oh, so that's why we're talking about it on this yeah. one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> The only theme park fully designed and built to completion under the direct supervision of Walt Disney, which we've already covered a good chunk of this when that is true Walt last month. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, the idea was that you know he had, uh, you know, he had uh, his his daddy's day with his daughters, where he spent time with his two two little girls, and at one point. Uh, the idea struck him that what if there was a place where parents and children could go together and do things together instead of like what he was doing where he's sitting on a bench watching his girls ride a merry-go-round um and that's kind of where the idea of Disneyland came from but of course he needed uh it was a crazy idea people thought he was nuts including his own brother roy but of course roy was all like well you're nuts but we'll do it anyway and uh every everyone needs a roy (laughs) yeah exactly um so they ended up buying 160 acres uh near anaheim in 1953 um walt put together uh wed enterprises which is now walt disney imagineering they began construction at 54 and then the park opened on july 17th 1955 to high acclaim considering that it was kind of a hot mess literally and figuratively to all who come to this happy place welcome disneyland is your land here age relives fond memories of the past and here youth may savor the challenge and promise of the future. Disneyland is dedicated to the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America, with the hope that it will be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world. Thank you. Um. (laughs) Um, The opening day was supposed to only be invited guests in the media 28,000 people showed up 
Only I guess, half I of guess. those, yeah, only half of those people were actually invited. The rest had bought counterfeit tickets or sneaked in by climbing over the fence. I was gonna say the the invited guest list. It's it's kind of like you know when you have a party and like okay, we're only gonna invite invite close people, and they keep saying, well, what about Aunt So and So or my cousin George or you know there or you know my 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 high school, you know jim you know your lab partner or my roommate from college like all of these people need to come <laughs> they mm-hmm. should be invited mm-hmm. now it's it's sort of along those lines <laughs> but yeah. you know i mean the fact that they constructed this thing at a year and a day is pretty impressive construction officially began july 16th 1954 oi yeah that's crazy yeah especially you know where this is sort of the first of its kind mm-hmm. you know amusement park it's like whoa okay uncle walt you are yeah yep. that, that's just <laughs> yeah i can't imagine but apparently he could and he did and mm-hmm. the rest is history my friends yeah um so yeah they had the, a public opening the following day um when it opened to the public there were 20 attractions um there was a a dedication um which was televised nationwide and uh abc broadcast the event live uh apparently a lot of the number of guests tripped over the cables for the television cameras <laughs> basically anything that could go wrong did yeah um walt started to read the plaque for tomorrowland he got partway through and then stopped when a technician off camera said something to him um and they didn't realize that he was on the air oops (laughs) so he had to start over um there was because uh, it, it was there was like Walt doing his thing and then there were they were doing like bouncing back from land to land coverage with Art Linkletter, Bob Cummings and Ronald Reagan because at the time Ronald yeah. Reagan was an actor oh, um, yes. so they caught at one point a camera caught Cummings kissing a dancer in Frontierland <sighs> um, oops they uh link letter tried to when he was in fantasy land tried to bounce the coverage to cummings who was on the pirate ship he wasn't ready went back to link letter who at that point had lost his microphone oh gosh <laughs> so they these cummings are... did a play-by-play of him trying to find it <laughs> these are professionals y'all mm-hmm. <laughs> traffic was a mess um there were people scheduled to show up every two hours. They showed up all at once. It was really hot that day. It was 101. Uh, there was a local plumber's strike. So Walt had to decide between having working drinking fountains or running toilets. He chose the toilets. Probably a good idea. Um, yeah. They can buy, they can, was it, wasn't the, uh, the, the reasoning they could buy soda. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they thought. Uh, vendors ran out of food. Um, asphalt had been freshly poured that morning and was not set yet, so women's shoes would get stuck in it. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I mean this this whole like this whole opening day just sounds like 
okay, you, you know, this place is a train wreck. It's a disaster. No one's going to come back to this. You know, you failed. This sucks. Pack it up. Let's go home. And more than 60 years later, people are still showing up mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, paying 20 bucks for, for a corn dog. Yeah, or whatever it is now. They keep prices keep going up. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, they is is it was such a mess that Walt had actually invited a bunch of people come back to come back for a private experience. And this time, it actually is a private experience. We're gonna cut down on those fake tickets. Mm -hmm. But you know, you you gotta you gotta give them props for hey. You know, we're we're doing this. We're we're here, and we're gonna make it a success. And they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, e- even for it being, you know, the the hot mess that it was, uh, you know, but by you know, opened in the middle of fifty five, mm-hmm. and they got a million people to attend the park. Mm-hmm. By the following year in '56, the attendance was four million people. Yep. So, uh, I think they've done okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so too. I think they got it. So yeah. awesome. I mean, but before before the pandemic hit in 2019, it was 18.6 billion people annual attendance. So, yeah. <laughs> I think they're doing okay. Uh, yeah, I think so too. I can, I'm not going to complain. I love Disneyland, so and obviously yeah. it's changed quite oh, a bit yeah. from when it originally opened. But a lot of the a lot of the original charm is still there. I mean, Walt's apartment above the fire station mm-hmm. is there. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Number like, yeah the uh, cla- there are classic attractions there that you can't find. Mm-hmm. elsewhere uh that that did exist in other parks but have since closed like mr toad's wild ride which i love because i think it's yeah. hilarious oh yeah you're riding you're in disney which is you know the the epitome of family friendly fun and excitement and it's a ride where eventually you go to hell <laughs> <laughs> you know those some of those some of those old disney things it's like you know what they they trusted kids a lot more back then mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah mr toads is great I, my favorite i mean i've been to disneyland twice in my life my favorite is still main street it's just i don't know i just i get i get caught up in the whole you know old timey nostalgia of it and you know going into the different you know shops and restaurants and you know you can go you know get ice cream at the, the one little cafe and and then they you know they have the parades every so often i just i i, I just kind of love the atmosphere of it all and then i mean i really i do love the rides and, and things too but the main street is just i'm like ah, i love this i want to stay here can this be can you know can i just can i can i rent can i rent that apartment up there mm-hmm. <laughs> for a gazillion dollars i'm sure but this is just i want to stay mm-hmm. i love this um yeah i just i I, like that like guys don't don't ever i mean i know they've changed a lot of the different 
attractions and and they've you know rethemed things or taken things out. I'm like, don't mess with Main Street. Just just leave Main Street alone. Make you know keep it nice, maintain it, but keep it as keep it what it is. Yeah. Well, and and a lot of the you know the uh, you know some of the things that we've talked about you can find at Disneyland, like mm-hmm. the um the references to davy crockett uh, mm-hmm. in Frontierland. um there used to be a davy crockett museum <laughs> yeah. yeah but it it didn't stay open for very long but there's the uh the canoes the davy crockett's explorer canoes mm-hmm. um, they used to have the mike fink keel boats um but now they're they've closed those uh, and then obviously Peter Pan's attraction in Fantasyland, which consistently has some of the longest lines anywhere found in any Disney park. Yep. I remember, I yeah, I liked that one. That one was fun. The Mr. Mm-hmm. Toads and all that, but yeah i mean i I know i know like walt disney world is a lot bigger and you know disneyland there's not you know a lot of expansion that they can do yeah um, beyond you know they've done california adventure that's probably about as much they can do but i just i don't well and also i haven't i've never been to disney world but i just i love i i do love disneyland i love i just i don't know i just it's just always been that i'm going to disneyland and i i love Mm -hmm. it and i'm glad that it's yeah, I'm. I'm glad that they didn't throw in the towel after that disastrous <laughs> opening. Yes, because yeah. oh, other people you, you probably know, would have been. Yeah, we, we we talked about this when we talked about Walt. You know, uh-huh. Walt was stubborn enough and determined yes. enough that he was not going to let something like that. No, no, I, I'm just saying, like, you know, be like, lesser... oh, seventeen million dollars down the drain. Yeah, you know, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I. Let lesser lesser entrepreneurs would have been like, eh, is this even worth it? But he just like, no, we're gonna make this work, and here we are. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, going on. Um, gosh, it'll be seventy seven years and in, uh. in, in twenty twenty five. So yes, I got oh to go goodness. for a sixtieth the diamond diamond celebration, which was pretty yeah. awesome. So first time <laughs> I went, it was the fiftieth, and then when we went, when Jared and I went on our honeymoon, we went to Disneyland. It was, uh, well, the sixtieth was kind of wrapping up, but it, it, they were they still had some some of the stuff going on, like and we got mm-hmm. you know the pins and the and all that kind of stuff going on. So it was kind of cool. And I'm like, yeah. oh boy, yeah it's it's fun i love i love disneyland i mean it's definitely a different experience if you've done walt disney world because it is so much smaller mm-hmm. but it also is different enough that you're not like oh i could have just gone to the magic kingdom yeah mm-hmm. uh like i said there are several there are lots of attractions that you cannot find anywhere else i mean Mm -hmm. mr toad used to be in florida but not anymore yeah um so among other things uh so yeah it's fun 
I, I definitely love Disneyland. It's definitely a must do mm-hmm. at least once. So you can walk where Walt walked. Yes. Awesome. Well, that is it for 1955. That is. We're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna hot rod the DeLorean back to the present for mm-hmm. now, I suppose. Um, but uh, if any of our listeners want to chime in on any of our uh, topics that we've covered today or anything else that we discuss, feel free to drop us some feedback. Our email address is fiveishfangirls at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, which is the fiveishfangirls.com, you can find and which is where you can find links to our social media and ways to support the podcast or through our Patreon and, and other ways there. And as always, we thank you for listening. We thank you for your support, uh, or your comments and faith and, and feedback or or a Patreon supporter or what have you. Um again, we're just very appreciative of our listeners, of our audience, and hope you all are doing well out there and Keep on trucking. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Yep. <clears throat> oh. All right. So with that, we shall sign off for this week. This is Chrissy saying goodnight from Salt Lake City. This is Holly from Wisconsin saying good evening. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. Thank goodness we don't need a DeLorean and a lightning strike to get out of 1955. Mm-hmm. It'd be really hard to get a lightning strike this time of year. Yes, true. to the Five-ish Fangirls podcast. You can find more episodes and information at thefiveishfangirls.com. Any and all books, movies, games, and any other forms of media mentioned are owned and operated by the respective copyright holders. No copyright infringement is intended or implied. If you wish to support the show, the easiest way is to leave us a rating and review. More ratings and reviews will make it easier for others to find the show. If you wish to support us monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash fiveishfangirlspodcast. All money goes towards fees and equipment to keep the show going. For official Fiveish Fangirls merchandise, visit redbubble.com slash people slash fiveishfangirls. We love hearing from our listeners and encourage feedback. You can email us at fiveishfangirls at gmail.com. You can also like and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fiveishfangirls. Thank you so much for listening, and may the squee be with you. Buddy, Holly,